Welcome to the Into the Wilderness podcast. This is the first one of the year, so I'm pretty excited in that. And for our, our new listeners, I'm sorry for our old listeners because we're, you already know who we are. But for our new listeners, I'm uh, Daryl Pace, one of your hosts, and uh, the chap next to me is my brother, Byron Pace. And uh, I guess we should tell people what the podcast is about if you're here for the first time. It's, it's almost hard to define what this podcast is about because we cover so many topics. We have a, a very strong th- thread on conservation. It's a podcast where the outdoors is incredibly important to us, be that wildlife or habitat. And we bring you interviews from around the globe, from people who are experts in their field or have fantastic knowledge about all manner of things, from fishing to guns to conservation in the, f- in, in the field to big game in Africa, to wild sheep in North America. But not just that, we have explorers and adventurers on this show as well. Yeah, so I guess, yeah, so heavily countryside and outdoor living orientated, I would say. That's what what makes us tick. (laughs) So those are the kind of people that we like to speak to. Yeah, and uh, for the first show of the year, it's, it's it's a big one. It'll be over two hours once you've listened to our blurb at the beginning and the end. And it's going to tackle what we've had quite a lot of requests over the last 12 months uh, for deer. For deer. And we, the last show we did specifically on deer was episode two, we think, which was almost it was over two years ago now. It was. The podcast has been going for two, over two years. Uh, so that's many, many, many. So we have talked about deer. Yeah. Um, but of course no, we have. And, and this show isn't actually entirely about deer, but it's very, very deer heavy. Um, you're going to be hearing from um, hunter and stalker Sam Thompson. It's very, it's a very funny show. It's, yeah. it's a great one to kick off the year. So we'd met Sam before, yeah. so we'd actually done some hunting with him. So he came, he was passing by, he came to our office here, sat on the sofas, hooked up the podcast gear, and we just started talking, really. Uh, so for all those people who wanted to hear more about deer management, this is definitely going to tick that box for you. Yeah. For those of you who just want a really entertaining podcast, yeah, this, you're is also, get this. this is also the one for you. Uh, so like we said at the end of last year, thank you to everyone that have been avid listeners throughout the, the year. We know that we've had people that have listening since day one and still listen today. If you don't subscribe to the show, which actually now we've got some of the stats on it, 80% of you that listen do actually, uh, over 80 actually, I think it's like 86% of you that listen on iTunes do actually subscribe. So thank so, you. So thank you for that. Um, so if you don't subscribe, hit that subscribe button. It means that as soon as a show comes out, it brings up an alert on your phone if you've got an Apple phone. Mm-hmm. And if you, Daryl's mentioned this on podcast before, but if you're not happy with the platform that you're listening to this podcast on, and it's not our podcast, then have a look around because there's tons and we're on the vast majority of them and most recently we're on Spotify. We now are on Spotify. So that is probably the global, well it is, it's the global giant for listening to music. You With Spotify, I don't think you even need to make an account. You can sign up through Facebook if you, you have Facebook. Yeah. And Spotify is free to use for music and completely free for um podcasts and so if you like music as well it's a bit of a bonus i think with music you get an advert now and then yeah i i have the free version and i think you get an advert every half an hour i 
kind of I think it's, tune it I think, it, I think it's one little advert every it's, it's, half it's an hour. It's very good. Uh, I've got the paid version, so I don't really know. But most people listen on iTunes, and it's a it's if you're listening on iTunes, I'd probably stick with that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, thank you very much. And if I, we can ask you two little favors before we get into uh, a little bit about prizes from last year and what's coming up for us this year, please go and give us a review. You can if, do if it you, on Facebook. If, if you haven't already. Uh, you can also do it on iTunes, and you can do it on most of the, if not all of the podcast yeah. apps, and go and recommend it to a friend. Yeah, spread S- spread the love. Especially maybe somebody who is into hiking or just likes the outdoors, outdoor pursuits, but not maybe within the field sports hunting sector. Try and get them to listen, Maybe maybe even recommend an episode that you think they will like to see if they can start listening to the if, show. If anyone is struggling, like I want to introduce it to someone, can you tell me what episode or, or how I should introduce it to them? Because a lot of people don't even know what podcasts are. Um, then always email us and we can send we'll you, you a we'll give you a recommendation. And not even not even our podcast. If someone is into podcasting we can, uh, and wants to get more podcasts under their belt, because we know a lot of you consume it while you're traveling or driving around the country, uh, we... We can send you some links. In fact, what we we'll maybe do, if I'm mindful of, is that on the next show, we'll maybe give you half a dozen. Yeah. At the start of the show, we'll give you half a dozen. This show is long enough as it is. Yeah. So we, we half don't... a dozen of the podcasts that we listen to, so that you can listen to some other shows as well. But don't stop listening to ours. No, definitely don't. Okay. Yes. Like Daryl said, this is a long show anyway. So I'm going to get um, quickly on to a few things that we need to tackle before we get into the podcast. And that is uh, winners from the competition from the end of last year. Which we, was we, sh- we should explain quickly that if you are new to this, we give out prizes on nearly every single show. Almost every it's single show. It's almost every... Sometimes we have an extra show, so not necessarily give one out on that. But it, every two weeks we give out prizes, and they have been amazing prizes. We must have given out like over a thousand or two thousand pounds. A lot of money in prizes of, so of prizes and really cool stuff from trail cams to uh, vintage signs, signs, beer mugs, cleaning rods, uh, glasses, safety glasses. Uh, <laughs> you know what? The well, list- you're about to hear a bunch <laughs> of them now. Because, oh, ear defenders. Yeah, a lot of ear defenders. Yeah. Uh, we had a bundle because it was it was and loads just of, befo- sorry loads of Coldwell stuff. We gave out Coldwell oh, yeah, rest, shooting a, rest. A Coldwell. Um, in fact, it was the Coldwell ear defenders. We had about four pairs of those electronic ones. Yep. We gave out. I really should have kept a pair. For yeah, myself. we really should have kept a pair for ourselves. <laughs> um, and we had a bundle of stuff because when we announced this competition, it was just before Christmas and we were feeling very kind. So we had a Tipton cleaning rod, a Hornady vintage reloading sign, which was like a, a tin sign with an old-fashioned advert on it, and a Hornady beer mug. Everybody loves a beer mug. So that was it. Uh, I can't remember exactly what the competition was, but it, it ran on Facebook. I think it was a tag a friend type deal. And the winner picked completely at random is Harry Sampson. So congratulations, Harry. Uh, you need to contact us. And this is how, again, for the, any new listeners, we announce the winner from two weeks before and we give you four weeks to pick it up. Uh, by pick it up, I mean contact us so that we can send it to I, you. I think Harry is from when I looked on his uh Facebook. He's from Yorkshire. So, Is he? so if you if you are going to come to the Northern Shooting Show, we can deliver it to you there. Yes, but do contact us in the next four weeks. We're very easy to find. Facebook page, uh, podcast into the wilderness. You can visit our website, thepacebrothers.com as well, and send us an email through there. Yep. Uh, from that to the next competition, we are going to give away a set of uh, Smith Optics 
um, shooting glasses, they're with the multi-cam finish on it, so it's like the like a digital camo finish. And they're the ones with the interchangeable lenses. This one comes with a clear lens and a grey lens. Uh, they, I've actually, not this particular set of Smith, Smith Optic glasses, but I am currently wearing a set because I lost my... Uh, my glasses that I had had for many, many years. It was Oakley's. In fact, it you, was. Yeah. Did I, not, I think they fell into a river. <laughs> I gave you a pair. No, you. Fa- I gave you a pair of Oakley's. I, yeah, I've so, given you two no, pairs. I, of I've, I've still got those. I've still got the pair that you gave me. Yeah. But they don't fit me very well. Yeah. And the pair before you picked up for me, but I bought them. And yeah, they yeah, fell yeah. off my head into a river while I was fishing. That's just unfortunate. Uh, but the the Smith Optics ones, they're actually the, the much cheaper ones than the ones we're giving away now. They fit me really great, so that's what I've been wearing. And I was supposed to take those to Nepal with me, and I left them on the front seat of my car. Uh-huh. So I had to go and buy a pair of rip-off glasses <laughs> when I was in Nepal, which really did upset Fr- me. Frey bands. <laughs> Frey bands. So that's what you have a chance to win, and I think we're going to make it a picture competition yeah we're not one um, for a while. so look on our social media feeds our facebook our instagram you will see the competition and what type of picture you need to enter uh in fact i'm gonna have to tell you now because those people who don't do social media then feel free to email us your picture you will still be entered and we will try and select the best one we just want a picture which represents what the great outdoors is to you. Yep, so it could, it. Be it could be anywhere. Anything. It doesn't have to be shooting, just great outdoors. Um, and if you are an Instagram user, all you need to do is just tag us in the picture and, and we'll, we'll, find, we'll it. find it and we save it on our phones. So, so no stress there. And the email address is podcast at paceproductionsuk.com and it will be in the description as well that you can just click. Uh, we are going to be at the Northern Shooting Show in May. I can't believe it's come around already i don't even want to think about it because it's not that far away <laughs> i know uh but we we're i do need to think about it because we have a lot to do there one we're going to be there we're going to be there in our big tp tent that we use for our hunts we've actually got a hunt coming up in two weeks there's actually one place left think, for that i think it's a week no it's it's two weeks is it yeah it's the 19th to the 21st we had somebody drop out at the last minute and it's been difficult to get all the other people who've wanted to come on couldn't make those dates. So there still is one place left. The hunt is going ahead. So there is still time by the time this podcast goes out to be part of that hunt. Uh, go and check out our website, thepaceprothers.com. Click Wilderness Hunts and you can <clears throat> read the, all the details of what that is about. But we're going to be at the Northern Shooting Show. We're going to have the. We're going to be in our tent and we are going to be... Uh, we're going to have some snacks there, and we're going to be brewing coffee. And we're going to be brewing coffee because we have just released coffee. We have released the first of four coffees uh, for this year, and the first one is called the McNab. Uh, for those people who are shooters, we, we have, you will is, know why the McNab. It is in the office already, and we're just waiting on the labels to stick them on. So basically, if you've ordered coffee, but maybe the labels will arrive. Uh, I think t- this week. Th- yeah, well, the week that the podcast comes out. Um, hopefully they'll be shipping out in the next few days but don't worry if you just go go on the website order some coffee then uh then it'll be shipped out i imagine it in a few few days days, after you you order um i i will actually say one other thing that i have actually just created a forces discount code uh which gives you 10 percent off i know that there is a number of forces listeners and all I will require from that, unless I know you, because I know that Joe from Best Deer Court is is in the the army. So yeah, all I'll require is it, you give me a snapshot of your ID card, so I can actually verify who you are. There you go. I didn't uh, even know, but great thing. Thank um, you. Um, 
if you uh, uh, by forces I also mean uh, uniform. In fact, I should just say uniform, uniform services. So if you're police, paramedic, fireman, uh, fireman, uh, then we don't discriminate. Let us know, and we'll give you ten percent. Maybe for all the stuff in the shops. Maybe RAF. Not sure about that. <laughs> Coming from the Navy boy. <laughs> yeah. uh, and but importantly, so we've launched the first coffee, which is called the McNab. I have to say that uh, my girlfriend Beth has done an awesome job on the design of that label. One pound from every bag of the McNab coffee is going straight to the Game Wildlife Conservation Trust uh, to work on yeah. conservation projects, and. Each one of the other three, which we haven't released yet, will also be tied to a charity. And our focus is going to be on the conservation, so in, in the coming, conservation of animals. In the wildlife. coming month, we should have the two coffees out in within the next month. Uh, uh, obviously, the McNabb being the, the first one. The next one, I think, is going to be a fishing orientation. It is one. going to be fishing. We're uh, just tying so that up. So we actually have both the coffees in the, the office. We're just designing the next label and tying it up with the organization that we're wanting to donate money to. And apart from the beans, quite obviously, everything else is done in Scotland. Every single part is done. Even the packaging and labels. Packaging, labels... The labels are made in Glasgow. It's completely it's shipped roast- into Glasgow. Yeah, it's shipped into Glasgow. It's roasted and packaged in Dundee. And our labels are designed, obviously, by us. And they're printed in Glasgow. So as much as the process as possible has been kept within yeah. the country. In-house or in the country. Yeah. So it's it's great for us. It One, it, it helps support us. It helps support the podcast. But every single bag helps support conservation. Of the McNab helps support conservation in this country through a great organization we, in the we've, GWCT. We've really tried to keep the cost down as low as we possibly can because, you know, we're not, we're not Starbucks. We can't we can't, uh, you know, order. We don't have the volumes. The volumes that... <laughs> to uh, make it, you know, two pound a bag. It's just, it's just simply not feasible. But then again, this isn't a two pound product because this is a, a premium, it's a high quality, it's a high coffee. quality coffee. Uh, but also, we've our whole shop. If you've ordered from us in the past, thank you very much. Our whole shop. We're always trying to improve it. So shipping is another thing that we're trying to get as low as possible. So shipping is always. We've a just revamped all the shipping. So, so we revamped the shipping to try and make it as close to as possible um, the actual the cost. actual cost because before we had to work out basically a flat rate for everyone um, and now we're we're trying to refine it so it is purely the postage and the packaging cost uh, which obviously packaging costs 30 40 p um, bear in mind we don't live anywhere near a post office as well so we also have to get to a post office to post we live in the middle of and the we, we don't have somebody to do it for us no, we, we, have, <laughs> we do all the posting of everything uh, so that is there if you want to see the details go onto our website com. click shop you will see the coffee and all our other products uh, the only thing i would add to the coffee um is that if you are wanting slightly bulk orders uh one kg two kg those kind of things please email us and we can arrange a discount uh, a we're discount. gonna we're gonna arrange a discount for it on the shop but we just haven't done that yet we had somebody ask for a kilo the other day yeah. so um and in the future i think we'll have a discount for our podcast listeners yeah specifically we'll, for we'll, our, we'll definitely and we'll change it month to month guys. yeah uh, okay, very last thing before we get into the show, which is the DNA Film Festival. You've heard us mention it last year. We we're running the first hunting f- film festival in the UK. It's going to be at the Northern Shooting Show. The winners are going to be shown on the big screen on the Saturday and the Sunday. But on the Friday night, there is going to be a, a, a unique showing 
of the winning films and some other films, along with speeches from, from, from some very interesting people. There's going to be uh, some snacks and some drinks, and it's going to be the Friday night before the Northern Shooting Show, at the, at the Northern Shooting Show, it's going to be there. We are inviting a lot of people there, but there are going to be a very limited number of tickets. It's only going to be 80 people there in total. It's going to be a lot of industry people there and a small number of tickets available for podcast listeners and the general public. So those are going to go uh, up for sale by the time this podcast goes out. And I can tell you that all of the money that we managed to to, to raise, either through ticket sales or we're going to try and raise a little bit of money uh, during the actual film festival itself, is going towards um, the work that's being done by the GWCT on Woodcock. We did a, a really in-depth podcast on Woodcock two podcasts ago, uh, so go and listen to that. But that's where the money is going to be going yeah. from the film so festival. So a good cause... And we hope to. We hope it's going to be a good festival for everyone, and we're pretty sure it will be because uh, the team at the Northern Shooting Show um, have been like behind us the entire way yeah. trying to make this happen. So it's it's going to be good. Yeah, it's going to be great. Uh, and that's it. We're not going to keep you any longer because <laughs> yeah. you've got a very long podcast ahead of you. Uh, you sound like it's bad. You have a great. No, no, you've got a very long podcast. I, I hadn't quite <laughs> yeah. finished. You've got a very long podcast ahead of you. And it's all awesome. Yeah, Sam is a is a, a he's a really nice guy. I've enjoyed getting getting to know him when we were actually hunting with him. I got to know him a bit yeah. more while we were actually doing the podcast. And I think by the time you've listened to this podcast, you will feel like you yeah. know him too. Uh, a few things I would say about the show: there is a few references to about before Christmas or New Year. We recorded it right before. I'm talking a few days before Christmas. So if we're talking about Christmas and New Year. That is why. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I There's also one or two expletives, I, I, but Daryl's beeped them out. Only the only the big ones. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there is a, a few um, explicit things in in this. So if you have young, ch- it's it's honestly it's nothing major. It's probably the f bombs uh, have been bleated. Uh, the, yeah, but it's up. I think anything. You know what? On TV nowadays, it's amazing when what what used to be a twelve or a. A fifteen, like ter- like Predator was used to be an eighteen. Was an eighteen when 15. it first came? No, I think it's a twelve. <laughs> no, <I can't> be <laughs> <a> 12. <laughs> anyway, anyway. Uh, you you have been warned, but it's 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 not it's, it's, not, it's not that bad. Uh, enjoy the show. You will hear from us. Well, just we haven't even told you what's end. in the show, Barnes. He's, uh, he's, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Getting ahead of okay, Daryl's going to run through what's in the show, but I think I've already sold it. You, you have. <laughs> you have. So it's a really brief rundown. So, dear stalking, dear management, forestry commission, community ownership, natural resources. That is literally the tip of the iceberg for this show. But um, that's what's coming up. That's what you've got coming up. And if you want to see and speak to Sam, he is going to be at. British shooting show in well just a few weeks time now go and look him up you can follow him on Instagram it's Ardale Deer which is A-R-D-A-L-E Deer Uh, he has lots of pictures on there and I'm sure you'll be able to contact him through Instagram as well if you want to book a meeting with him enjoy the listen Sam welcome to the Into the Wilderness podcast thank you for stopping past today on your way back home down to Cumbria for Christmas because we're two days out from Christmas now uh, yeah, two days away. And three you've, days you've away. actually managed to take a couple of days off? I have. Uh, yeah, so we I'm having a break from stalking now until the 3rd of January, which is Oh, right, so you're getting the whole period off between Christmas and A whole year. week. Are you yeah, spending the whole time good. down in Cumbria? No, I'll be I'll be coming back up after Christmas. I'm in the process of moving house at this wonderful time of year to move house. I, I so. think a week is too long yeah. for you. You should, <laughs> you should be back the following day. I mean, I am, I've got a rifle in the car. I'm not, I'm not going unarmed in case <laughs> something happens. But yeah. Something interesting 
Yeah, an interesting in opportunity comes up. Well, it's normally yeah, so, something normally pops up. It's I'm a great sure. time of year to move house. Well done on that. Yeah, right in the middle of the hind season uh, when it's cold and dark. Yeah, it's it's perfect. But there you go. Um, so we're gonna. I'm sure that we're gonna dig into a whole manner of really interesting topics today. We don't really have much of a plan of where it's going, but deer is going to be a big focus. But just to paint a picture of who are you for our listeners, what is? Tell me about what you do day to day and how you how you go. I actually not not entirely sure what your uh, sort of younger background is leading you into the job that you're in today, Sam. Okay, yeah. Um, so it, it's it's slightly strange. I don't really come from a. So I should I should start by saying that I'm I'm a professional deer stalker. I'm a self-employed contract stalker. So I do a mixture of guiding clients and also some culling work for estates. Uh, I also do a bit of teaching now, which is which is really cool. I really like it, but that's slightly unexpected turn that we've had. So yeah, uh, that's sort of what I do, and that's the business. Um, I didn't really come from much of a, a stalking background uh family wise my my dad uh, was and is a very passionate fly fisherman uh and we were on holiday when i was about seven years old uh in the highlands and i for the first time really saw red deer and saw people stalking and apparently and i don't really remember it but apparently just turned around and said that's what i want to do like there was a guy who had a beard a rifle and an Arga cat, and I was like, <laughs> "So you've that, got you've that got, guy seems pretty cool." <laughs> you've got the rifle. You've probably got access to the Argo. You got yeah. a pickup outside, but what happened to the beard? Not for me. Um, <laughs> I I grow quite a good beard, but a terrible mustache. So I look a bit like a sort of chubby young Abraham Lincoln, <laughs> which I don't find very good. Uh, so yeah, so that was, and and that was it. And so I was really lucky that uh, that chap actually, when I was a bit younger, he he. Uh, he showed me a little bit and I started to learn more about stalking and my whole, I've always been, uh, a, you know, a very keen, uh, sort of very keen on nature when I was a child and, and I was very lucky to grow up on farms in the countryside. So uh, in that way, I got into sort of beating and shooting and uh, and all that side of it as well. And obviously fishing from when I was a kid. So I, I grew up in a fairly mixed mixed background of sport but the stalking was always my passion and what I wanted to do and kind of all consuming you know I read or I read quite a lot when I was a kid and I read quite a lot now actually and you know I remember just like devouring books about stalking and I remember I got a weird little like a it was quite a small book about deer and I must have read it thousands of times when I was a kid what can you remember what the uh, I, can't, remember? I can't and it was the there was a really good there was a really good wee book that I got when I was a wee bit older that was called A Year in the in the Woods. And I read that a lot. That was by a forestry commission ranger down south. Mm-hmm. And that was like a diary. And I remember feeling, finding that fascinating. And that was one of the things. Uh, uh, and there was a few others, people I met and everything else, um, that sort of pushed me to go, right, well, well I want to be a deer stalker. Because mm-hmm. for a while I thought about being uh, a kind of deer scientist. And then I realized that actually what I wanted to do was run about on hills and chase them. And if you got to play with guns, that was an added bonus. <laughs> uh, so that's how I, I ended up doing this. And uh, yeah, I've, I've I've been really lucky that I've worked with some great people. I've learned an awful lot from them and from deer and being, you know, in the nature and, and learning from that. Uh, and yeah, that's sort of how we end up sat here. So when we first met, it was, what, maybe six months ago, July, I think it was, so, uh, yeah. over on 
the west of Scotland on the Arden American yeah. Peninsula. So I've I finished at the start of December. I finished a six months con- six month contract with Arden American uh, and West Highland Hunting. So part of, uh, quite a big part of my business actually is is subcontracting to other people, be that to provide uh, guiding services like with West Highland Hunting or or culling services or whatever. So yeah, I did a six month stint out there this year which was a long time. It was quite cool, actually. It was a long time without any phone signal or real contact with the outside <laughs> it world. Really it, 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 it really is the arse end of nowhere. It really is. Like, you, yeah. you look on the map and you look where we are and you go, oh, it's only there to there and we yeah. know roughly where Sky, because you know, we go there all the time, yeah. the distances. Arn American, you arrive on the peninsula, it takes another two hours just to yeah. get oh, it's, anywhere. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous. And it's don't get me wrong, it's an amazing place. The the landscape, the the geography, and, and therefore the deer that are there are phenomenal. And it, it's a place I've really enjoyed stalking. Um, it's got it, a huge variation on it. From, yeah. From it's, going it's, from fair, not well, yeah, I would say kind of lowish grounds all the way up to the mountain. Yeah, absolutely, top. and and the 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 deer have done very well there for a number of reasons. Part of it is is exceptionally good management uh, and and good stalking, but but the the geography of the place uh, it, it's it's far too complicated to go into in great detail, and I am not the expert on it, but it it just provides pretty much the perfect place for red deer and if you want to see Far a film off. on it we did make one yes, yes we did an excellent film uh, thank you very much um, i don't um, oh yes you you did feature in it i hope i didn't i don't really like being in I'm, films. I'm sure you I'm sure you must have been it. captured on well on if, it, if anyone doesn't know sam was part of making it because he did drive us around on many locations when we were he did indeed all of the the lovely uh uh drone all shots the drone over shots. the sea uh, Sam was very kindly chauffeuring us around. <laughs> I said, I think I said the island, there, the peninsula. It is the main. It could be an island. It, it feels it is, like it, it is, is as well. It always feels more like a, like uh, again. I I go to Sky a wee bit as well, and it feels more like an island to, than Sky than does. Sky does, yeah. 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 Mainly because there's not. It's not full of sort of tourists and and hippies that live there and all that sort of stuff. It's still <laughs> it's still very, incomers. Yeah, <laughs> white settlers as they call them at Arden American. Uh, like, yeah, so it's 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 a really cool place. It's somewhere I'd recommend people. People visit, and if you've got an interest in in hunting deer, then it's it is somewhere to to seriously look at. I think, um, uh, just because uh, Neil Roundtree, who's the head stalker there, is a fantastically talented and knowledgeable stalker. He's a really nice guy as well. You'll learn a lot from a day speaking to him. You, you <laughs> I did. certainly do. Uh, and uh, and yeah, the the deer as well, purely from the yeah the genetics that are there and the way they're managed. I'd uh, I'd say they are. Some of the best red deer in Scotland, certainly the best that I, I've had the pleasure of working with. And There's some big deer there, some the big, big stags. Yeah. I, I think probably I probably saw more stags of that sort of caliber in one day there than I would normally see in a week <laughs> wandering around the mountains. And that's, yeah, that's it's 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 um, that is one of the beauties of that place, and it's also for me it's kind of a shame that. It's a it's a it's an apt reflection of how deer seem to be being treated in other parts of Scotland at the moment, which I'm sure we'll something we'll talk about later. But yeah, you know, deer actually, it's one of those species that's been very topical this year. Another one being woodcock. Would you you inform me that you listen to our woodcock podcast? Just because uh, Sam is a podcast listener. Yes, as well. of course. I am. I am now a podcast. When, when do you consume them most? Is it when you're out at night or just no, travelling around? It's driving. driving. So I spend a lot. I do like thirty thousand miles a year. Uh, normally in places with very little phone signal. Yeah, so you need something you can and, download. And very little, and I don't know. I think it might be my Hilux, but my radio in the car is awful. Like you, you, it's just terrible. So as soon as I'm 
As soon like, as you're on the west soon, coast, yeah, though, there say, isn't as many. soon as you're west of the A9, the radio's out, <laughs> and you're like, okay, so what? And you get through. I listen to plays and music a lot, and I like music, but you do get to a stage when you're driving that many miles that you just like. You need more. You can't consume that much music. So instead, uh, after I met you guys, I listened to a couple of your podcasts and a couple of other podcasts off the back of that. Yeah. And actually, the fact you can download it while you're having a cup of coffee in the morning. And you can be like, oh, that's new. And you download that and it takes like three or four minutes and it's an hour and a half, which sounds like a really long time until you're driving for three hours. Yeah. And then it actually flies by because it's just like listening to the radio, but about something you're keen on. So yeah. that, yeah, it makes perfect sense. I didn't think me. we were going to get our own podcast promoted inside the <laughs> podcast, but you've just it's, done it for uh, us. And so it's called Podception. <laughs> po- Podception. And, and the invoice will be with you later. <laughs> uh, no, that's tremendous. Funny enough, that is actually how most people consume yeah, it, it is, commuting yeah. to work. Sadly, for a lot of people, commuting to work to do a job that most people don't really want to be doing, unlike you, who's actually driving to do a work, uh, a job that you do want to do, but uh, you've still got time to burn all the same. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I, as you say, I'm really lucky that I, I do love what I do. I don't think I'd be very good at anything else, but uh, it helps. When <laughs> I'm sure you'd find something. Day. Probably, probably. There's lots of pantomimes. This time <laughs> of year. Yeah, people at this time of year as well. People need to father Christmas, and yeah. I, I've always thought I'd be good at that. You just need to do something about the beard. Just the beard and a big belly laugh, and I'll be. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, back to the, to to deer, which is uh, how we we got onto this tangent. Was you know, Woodcock have been talked about a lot in the last month. We we did a podcast on that, just as we were saying. And deer have come up a lot in the last year. Um, the, the issue up in Ascent, and just generally speaking, with how they're being treated and their views, sort of from government and from from the public and the populations in Scotland, in particular, where where we're sitting. What is your kind of overall view of the state of deer in Scotland, Sam? That's a very difficult That's, long question. I was going to say that that it. is like that is a big rambling question. Um, I mean, it depends what part of the country you're in. But for let's just assume it, that people who are listening maybe don't have a full appreciation of the dynamics of deer across Scotland. Okay, so and we're talking we're talking here about red deer. We should probably say okay. Well, let's the, just talk about red part, deer. Yeah, let's talk about red deer because I think I mean red deer now are are everywhere. I think every county in England and the Highland uh, and and in Scotland, sorry, has has a red deer population. Uh, and actually, it's interesting to find that in a lot of places where red deer thrive, red deer don't. But I'll I'll leave that alone because I can rumble for hours about deer. Um, so yeah, we're mainly talking about red deer because that's, you know, that is what most of Highland deer stalking is about. Uh, and when we talk about deer management, as we are doing at the moment, as and to be honest with you, I've been involved in deer uh, in Scotland heavily for the past sort of four or five years, and in that time, it's always been a subject of controversy. I am too young to remember, you know, sort of pre the mid 80s when people started culling lots of deer and when it was sort of not a rosier time, but it was a less political time. Uh, so when we talk about red deer, we are generally talking about, uh, sorry, when we talk about deer management, we're generally talking about red deer on the open range uh, for a number of reasons um, that's separated um, from your kind of woodland red deer and deer on farmland where management is more about controlling damage than about sporting use. So, um, yeah, the state of the state of deer in Scotland at the moment is really interesting. Um, there's an awful, and I, I should point out, I'm not really a scientist, so uh, yeah, I can only speak my opinion. You're kind of forming your views from conversations with other people yeah, what you read and, what I, you know. and what you've seen on the ground. Yeah, uh, most of it, to be honest with you, is I, yeah, is, is speaking to people that have been around a long time, what I see, 
uh, and I, I still consume a lot of books and scientific papers to a point and then you get to a point and they're too complicated for me and they go above my IQ level and when there's more Latin than English I just give up um, but yeah you know I, I try and see all aspects of that and I, I, I'm quite lucky that I deal with some ecologists and environmentalists as well who have a, a good knowledge base and a lot of experience and I think that there's a lot of over the past sort of 10 years we've had a huge, quite a lot of anti-deer rhetoric has been put into the public's mind, uh, and and also to be honest with you, into into recreational stalkers and and the clients that we get, there is this trend for people to talk about oh, there's there's too many deer, we deer are always increasing, and you, and you you're right, you do hear it a lot, and from all different uh, angles, and I I certainly think that was you know I I don't disagree that deer are increasing in areas, but I. I think there's probably around 300,000 red deer in the highlands of Scotland on the open range. That's what I think is probably a reasonable estimate, which is mirrored pretty much by the ADMG. I think that's the Association of Deer Management Groups. Um, and and I actually think we're, we're at a much lower number of deer than we were in, say, the mid-1980s. Mm, as an overall population. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, in, in the mid-80s, you speak to the kind of the older generations of stalkers and they talk about seeing... You know, in the Cairngorms, groups of 5,000 stags in the summertime. In places like Glenfeshie, where we've, you know, through, through management decisions, there's been a, a big reduction in deer numbers. Yeah, apparently... Famously. Yeah, mm. uh, apparently, you know, the mid-80s and before, you were seeing those kind of numbers of deer. Um, and I think we've seen a decline since then. And I think we, we, we're at a really interesting tangent ourselves because our... As as an industry, our defence from me seems to have mainly been that we accepted there was this this problem with with having lots of deer, and there was, you know, we sort of said, yep, there's there's deer, and we need to do something about this, and we never, we never embraced our own science to an extent to turn around and say, well, let's just make sure, rather than believing what the people who were against what we do, uh, and looking to find our own proof we agreed with what they said and started to make subtle changes to what we did to, to fit in with that in terms of the management yeah in terms of management in terms of you know we we kind of accepted there was this problem with deer i think uh so i mean and, just maybe flesh that concept out i mean yeah deer populations high deer populations low deer populations what is the problem so yeah i suppose the the, the basic the basic answer from a lot of people who I disagree with in parts is people have uh, possibly uh, an incorrect, but a lot of people hold a vision that the highlands of Scotland was uh, was Caledonian forest. So what was called by the Romans the Great Wood of Caledon, uh, which according to some historians is why the Romans didn't actually push. They, they, they came into Scotland and they found a huge swath of woodland that they couldn't get through with some very angry people who didn't really want them there. <laughs> and I, I read a really interesting article about this uh, quite a while ago that basically said if you were a young Italian soldier in a really cold, wet, miserable place... And these with blokes, midges. With midges. And blokes who had dyed blue running about in a really massive dark forest throwing arrows at you, you'd go back to your general and say, it's not worth it, mate. Yeah. Let's just not bother. <laughs> let's let's stay south of the big wall we've built and just we'll leave them to it. Don't fuss. And and actually there's there's people coming out now, you know, from 
from history and and uh, sort of ecological biological basis and saying maybe it wasn't one great forest. Uh, and that's something that I can I can see myself as actually there was probably some huge patches uh, historically of of Caledonian forest, uh, which is uh, a, a mixed you know uh, deciduous and um, coniferous. Coniferous. Well done. Missing words. Uh, forest and and there was swarms of that that go you know space side. Um, you see when you see some of it up, yeah, up yeah, absolutely. Now, the you know, there was. Pr- I, I can see there being huge well. amounts of it, space side, D side, that area, uh, Loch Arbor, which we're talking about just earlier, uh, around Craig Meggie, the Natural Nature Reserve. I don't doubt that there was huge swaths of of native woodland at one point. That I also don't doubt that we did we harvest, burnt whatever we did to to reduce it, so we have more agricultural land as the as the population grew and everything else. But I do question this idea that it was trees from river to mountain. And that has been the mantra, that this idea that we we had this Caledonian forest and we have so reduced it and basically we have a moral responsibility to restore it to restore yeah. that forest and i don't i don't disagree with that in principle because i think you know people have done an awful lot of damage to the world and we should look at reversing some of that change what i struggle with and it's something that comes into rewilding as well is you have to pick a date yeah yeah so like, how far back exactly do you want to take where do you want to, you, i'm where, feeling quite warm right now in this house yeah. <laughs> but the cave along the way <laughs> exactly and and how far back you know when when is the day where you go that was right and and the change after that was entirely due to people and that's what we should be going back to. And and, and there's a lot of people that, that do really believe in that that's what we should be doing, that we should be reforesting. Uh, and obviously what goes against that quite strongly is is the deer forest and grouse moors that we, that we have. And this idea that uh, our, our landscape in Scotland, which a lot of people see as wilderness, which I, I disagree with, but the, this idea that managing it for sporting purposes is directly in contra- contradiction to the to what it should be and what morally we have a a responsibility to restore and the, this idea is that the sporting estates built up huge populations of deer uh sort of within the last century uh coming you know over the war obviously less people stalking that kind of stuff um and the deer population has sort of bloomed like algae in the sea and suddenly we are awash with deer and I think something that really brought that home to me is a very good friend of mine is a very good ecologist and as part of his work he travels all over Scotland and he counts deer for a living and he does various different this is the guy that we met you were living with him uh no different ecologist I know a few ecologists (laughs) uh a different guy and anyway I was on the phone to him one day not that long ago and he was uh he was driving along the road and he'd been driving to an estate to go and do some ecology work for them and had driven through somewhere or other and he said he said, Oh, you know, Jesus Sammy was like there was there was two hundred deer stood on the side of the road. I was like, Yep. He was like, that's a lot of deer. And I was sat there going, Okay and you know, the conversation finished and I was driving along myself and I'm sat there going, It's not a lot of deer. That's like going to the Serengeti and going, Jesus, there's a lot of zebras here. Yeah. Uh, They're going, that's the, you know, that place is a deer forest. So seeing, you know, groups of deer like that, it's not a bad thing. And I think people are are, are preconditioned in in the industry to an extent, but certainly in this 
uh, ecology lobbying, if you like that environmentalist side of it, to sort of think that you know the only good deer is a dead deer, and that if you've got groups of deer like that, it's it's impacting on tree growth and all these sorts of things, and mm. you know, it's, and there are it's, certain organisations which help enforce that. There, there are, uh, and I think, yeah, we, 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 you know, we, we saw what was ha- uh, happening on Noidart with the John Muir Trust uh, a year ago, two years I ago. I think it's two years ago now, almost yeah. two Probably years now. Um, and and I mean that that got a lot of press. I mean, that, rightly so. That got a lot of press, and I think, to be honest with you, I think that that has done a lot of damage to the John Muir Trust hmm. um, because I think the general public whether or not they believe in you know whether or not they believe in reducing deer numbers and reforesting and and everything else i think what people hate is the idea of bambi being shot and left and rotting because yeah, that, yeah, the, 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 that, the way absolutely and the, that's just a very powerful image um and uh, you know that that was a decision they made at the time i believe that the the guy who made that decision no longer works for them and i know they're not doing it now um because uh, that aspect of shooting deer and leaving them on the hill doesn't sit well with anybody. It doesn't matter it doesn't, who. It, no, it doesn't. There's, are there are other parts of the world. We we had this discussion at the time, and this is a slight tangent actually to what we're talking about. But uh, there are other parts of the world that have far more arduous terrain than we have, and they take their deer out. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's a requirement. The, the guys in New Zealand, and even you know, go beyond that and to where that part of Noidot was, you know, pre John Muir Trust. I remember speaking to an old boy who'd stalked there back in the 60s, 70s, I think, 70s, 80s, and he never had to leave a stag in that. Um, and, and no, as I say... hand experience, I didn't know. Yeah, no, I, I, and I can't remember the guy's name, uh, but, you know, it's it's one of those things that shooting that number of deer and leaving them... And don't get me wrong, I've left deer on the hill myself, not many of them, but certainly if you've got a really poor calf or even a really poor hind and you've got a population of eagles, ravens, whatever... You look at that, and especially, you know, the likes of last winter was a really bad winter for carrion. Because it was so mild, there wasn't the natural mortality. And I, and and this is not based on any science whatsoever, but I would suggest myself that that probably will have quite a heavy impact on the likes of golden and seagull populations and that kind of stuff, because they rely heavily on scavenging. Well, interestingly, actually, in Harris... Uh, they do, they as part of the community um, management there. They have a certain number of deer which have to be left yeah. on the hill every year, and that's particular. That's specifically for the year. Yeah, and and so I, I'm not again. You know, if you turn around and you go, well, that's a really poor calf, or that's a really poor hind, or even that's a really poor stack, um, because a friend of mine's on Harris and he shot a stag this year that was like I think eight stone or something. Oh wow! And they carried that off the hill, and why would you not? Because it's the weight of a rabbit. Um, so yeah, that's not a particularly arduous drag out but you know if you're shooting really poor quality animals and you go right well that's not going to be something I particularly want to eat uh, you know that's not a premium venison product that's yeah, not no one's going to want to put it in the food exactly chain, yeah. and you're certainly not going to get your good whack from the game dealer for it and you compare that to tiding your you know your your other species over I think that's a reasonable and, and I think that's a reasonable and fairly defensible decision to say I'm going to leave that carcass on the hill um, but the flip side there's, of that a, is there's a massive difference between doing one or two a year and doing 70 in um, one go it, well yeah over a season yeah. um, and I think there's there's whole th- that to me speaks volumes for how certain parts of uh, let's call it the environmental industry because we as, as deer managers and land managers and gamekeepers and whatever we are we are part of an industry in Scotland that includes lobbying organisations, the National Trust, all these different people have a, a, 
have a, an interest and, and a right to be involved. Um, but I think that is a very open book place where we can look at and you go, well, that's treating those deer like they're vermin. Hmm. Like that's shooting them without a regard for what you're going to do with that product. And I think well, that's a great way. I would waste. say it's not, it's, when you look at it like that and to, to some extent we, well, I mean, very much so, although you know better than, than me, that is very much my sort of feeling, although not leaving carcasses out, uh, my feeling of some of the forestry commission management is that it's not management for the deer. There is management for forest. Absolutely. That's, that's what the, the yeah. that's what the thinking is. Where and that example there isn't management for the deer. No. That is management for whatever um they're trying to achieve, which in that case Absolutely. is you know, more but, forest. And I think you can you can defend that to a point. And actually I think there is and and I you know, I'm I'm not a forestry commission person and my experience of it is limited, but I think that's equally something we can look at how some of some of that works and go absolutely you're managing this for you know reason a and your deer are secondary and in that enclosure or whatever there's a zero deer tolerance so we're going to shoot every deer on site and you go okay that's fine um is that the best way of achieving that cull and is that wise use of this amazing you know because let's be honest red deer are an amazing natural resource in scotland yeah exactly whether, whether or not you agree with them being here in Big numbers, small numbers, whatever. You can't deny this is a. It's iconic. It's an iconic keystone species in yeah. this environment. It is, you know, it's been here for probably about twelve thousand years since the Loch Lomond advanced, and there's no doubt, even without sporting management and everything else, it shaped this environment. And a lot of the the forestry professionals and and these people now, they they accept that you you know a good forest has deer in it. You mm-hmm. can't have a forest without deer, and I think that's crucial. But the the forestry commission is a, a different tangent, and personally, I think that that uh, you know contractors being paying quite large sums of money to shoot deer that are then sold to a large company, who then take it abroad and distribute it in really far reaches. And this is a kind of personal thing of mine. But why not instead would you have local people doing it uh, and using that meat locally to feed people this incredibly healthy? low food miles because we do have a demand meat. for it we, there's a huge demand for venison you know uh, uh, well uh, deer deer farms are becoming more massive. and more popular and uh, well, there's more f- bank funding available as well no, that's, no? that's what yeah. i'm saying it, well, it, it, in, and the, we talked about it you might have actually listened to the podcast when we were um talking about the farm up here what was it called uh, oh, up at Lox, uh, glensock yeah yeah and they were saying because they did all the studies on production, meat production, what's more economical, and con- conversion, con- conversion values, values land, yeah. to sheep, cattle, and deer. And deer are, without a shadow yeah. of a doubt, the most effective animal to which farm. Which shouldn't be that surprising. I was going to say, which, it's, it's not surprising. Because nature yeah. designed it. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, it's with not the best, surprising. With but, the best will in the yeah. world, cattle and sheep and, and that whole you know agricultural industry, it's wonderful. But red deer evolved to live in this, in this area. Yeah. And they very effectively convert very low value nutritionally you know product bits of tree and grass and whatever else you like into this very high quality meat product and i think when you do look at you know the forestry commission deer management and the amount it costs the taxpayers is insane and i have not got the exact figure but you know it's a huge amount of money is spent managing deer on public land let's let's not get around the fact you know when you speak to international hunters and and i got a lot of international clients and they start talking about so what's the public land hunting like here you're like well we don't really have any and you then explain to them that the forestry commission which is owned by 
we the people, is the biggest landholder in Scotland. And the hunting on it is not done by any members of the public other than those professionally contracted or employed by the Forestry Commission to cull deer. Occasionally you can rent a block off uh, them. In a, yeah, yeah, but, but it's, it's, it's quite expensive difficult. and it's quite difficult. And I yeah. and there's a lot of, uh, I believe, that you that it's not as simple as you rent a block. You have to have a lot of things in place. Oh, you've got to have all your, all your yeah. tickets. It's, it's almost like contracting, I believe. Yeah. Um, whereas to me, I think, you know, what I think would be an amazing thing in Scotland would be, you know... Daryl Pace from Brecon thinks, God, I'm free this weekend. I've got my license. I've got my, you know, hunting qualification. Uh, right, I'm going to ring up Inverness Forest District and go and hunt Red Hines for two days. So you ring up Inverness Forest District, you get a couple of tags, which you pay for. And in exchange for that, you go away, you stay in a and b in Inverness, you hunt some deer under the management and supervision of Forestry Commission staff who make sure everything's safe and all of that side of it is organised and we still employ people with the Forestry Commission. So you're using their larders and their facilities. Absolutely. But at the end of the day, you get to come home with ethically sourced, fantastic meat. You've spent a weekend in the countryside. You've, you know, exercised. You've ticked all of these boxes we keep saying as a population we don't tick. And you've done it while not costing the taxpayer anything and probably generating money for yeah. the National Forest instead. And I and I look at that and I go, are we really daft? You know, how is pretty much every other country in the world got something like this in place? And our answer is, it's not safe enough. Yeah, and I, I suppose the other aspect of it, which is a, a difficult dynamic to juggle, is that although it is, it's publicly owned, it is still a... And I, I agree with what you're saying, and I would love to see more public access there, and I would love to see actually more deer in those forests, but it is a it is a harvestable crop, mm, essentially, absolutely. and it needs to make money. And, and that deer so, management has to be part of forest management but really the deer management from my experience of spending time in forestry commission areas and with forestry commission not all of them but a lot of forestry commission rangers in the past particularly is that it's actually not deer management it's if it moves it's dead yeah yeah that's it's, not it's managed, that is not management it's wiping that's out forest, no, I th- that's I th- I think, forestry i was going to say it's, it's forestry t- management it's a type of management it's, <laughs> but like, it's not it's, deer management uh, it's 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 management for the forestry that's a yeah, big difference and 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 uh, but to be fair, in that way, I mean, they are managing their deer population to as little they as have, possible. They have a policy, yeah, that they don't want deer. Mm. And in that situation where they're growing young timber crops, yeah. Um, something I didn't mention earlier was that I actually studied forestry at college for two years, uh, and in that I learned that deer can't always win, and that you know when you're growing a young timber crop, you can't really have deer in it because of the damage. Of Absolutely, but once they get once those trees get to a certain established age, you can. Mm-hmm. And the flip side of that, and the really interesting thing that you just said was you'd like to see more deer on the public forest. I think there's a lot more deer on the public forest than we all think. Really? I, I, I genuinely think that we probably have nearly nocturnal um, populations of deer of various species living in forestry commission areas. But that's because they're being hit so hard during the day. Uh, I think that's being because they're being hit so hard in certain areas. Mm-hmm. I think if you looked at how some of these deer move, uh, and you'll find that they know that the contracting season runs from kind of September to March. And so in those periods, they almost shut down and they move very little and they stay in the very thick areas of timber where people don't go. And then the rest of the year, they are a more active animal but i as i say i don't have a lot of science to back that up that's just something that 
hearing what I hear and speaking to people and seeing what I see, that's something that I've I've heard and sort of started to consider, and it it makes a lot of sense. Because let's not forget, uh, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, the commission announced that they're going to be using helicopters again in the Trossachs. Yes, yeah. I saw that. So that's like twenty years after they did it last time yep. when they did the big. And it worked so call. well last time. Publicly. Well, the thing is. <laughs> Yeah, publicly it kind of failed. But let's say, for argument's sake, 20 years ago, they had this massive population of deer, right? And so they brought in helicopters and marksmen and they shot buggery out of them. And Is that your technical te- term? That's my te- <laughs> that's technical. That's the technical term for killing those deer, shooting buggery out of them. Uh, so, so 20 years ago, they dropped their pop- deer population right down to whatever they wanted, two deer per square kilometre or whatever it was. Do we not have to question how 20 years later they're back in the same position? Like, I don't disagree with using helicopters for deer management. That's something, it's possibly not a uh, a particularly tasteful thing, but in situations, I understand that. But to me, is there not a level of incompetence there when when you've whacked them right down... You haven't been able to keep 20 years later, you've they've built up to the same level again. You know, you're back at your really high densities you can't sustain. So you've got to spend all that money again getting helicopters in and all these people. You know, that, to me is not good deer management. Again, it's public money. And it's all it's all paid for by the taxpayer. Just to play devil's advocate there, um, if you, we imagine that we did have more, way more public access to all of the Forestry Commission grounds, so there was a lot more people, the availability of stalking, certainly. Do you think it would work? I mean, do you think there is enough um, competence and will to put in the time to actually get the numbers down to what they want to achieve on those on those areas uh that's it's a very valid question and as i say it's it's a personal opinion held by me that's not particularly backed up by a great experience i've not i've not done public land hunting myself uh, you know my experience is in scotland and a little in england um but in my in my head theoretically mm-hmm. I, I mean, it makes sense. You, it, we spend it, it a lot does. of money publicly, and, why, but, and there's you, people who do it for free. So let's like let's let's take an imaginary forest, uh, a, a forest area that's got a ranger in it, right? Okay, and your and your answer is okay. That is however big it is, and the forestry commission can afford to put one ranger in it to shoot the deer. So you put a ranger in, and let's be honest, he probably lamps the deer in it. Probably shoots out a season if he's got a lot of deer. Uh, I should just say they get licenses for that. They are absolutely, yeah. and it's done legally. Uh, and and I'm not again. I'm not arguing with that. I think in certain situations that's probably fine. But what I'm worried, what worries me, and what I think is sad is when that becomes the norm. And it is increasingly. And it is pretty common. So anyway, we've got our imaginary forest district block, and we can afford to employ one ranger by the commission to shoot the deer in it. Okay, so. He is no doubt an effective deer manager in that he can shoot lots of deer, but he's still only one man. And in my little vision, which I know shared with a few other people, is why would he not supervise 20, and I don't like the term amateur, or let's go with recreational stalkers, who could stalk under him and with his supervision and his guidance. Yeah, take this block, this is what we're Yeah, absolutely. So that's your area. Go in there and do this. That's your area, you know. And obviously, I think we, you know, in this hypothetical situation, we did need a much better training system than level one and level two DSC. Yeah, there's uh, a lot of holes in that. Yeah, there is. Um, but it's it was what input, what was put in place in the time. I think we do, you know, even without this hypothetical public land hunting, I'd like to see that made a better system anyway, um, and uh, a slightly, possibly a slightly more rigorous uh, sort of training. 
Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't see why not. Because And the answer to that is because it works in so many other places. You know, it works in Scandinavia and they do a lot of timber growing there. They have a lot of commercial forest and it's hunted by, you know, it's definitely not hunted by contractors. Contracting is, is an alien concept to the majority of people from different countries I mention it to. One of the keys there is that for hunting like that, it either it can't cost much because otherwise it's not worth your while as the recreational hunter or it must be available at cost. I mean, essentially no, you're it, doing a because uh, yeah. you know that you're not going to see uh, the number of deer that you would see if it was managed differently, if it was managed for the deer Absolutely and not, not the forest. And so but you're op- taking that kind of risk that you're going to see less. And so the price has to reflect that. You, you, or could, you, could, you could easily go, right, let's just say it's a forestry block in Inverness. If you live in the Inverness area, it's free to do. Anyone else has, has to yeah, pay. I mean, that yeah. would be a way to do or, it. And then even, it encourages local people to either take it up or, yeah. or And I do don't it. I don't think it needs to be free. I think, you know, let's look or at it the other way. The price of the meat. Absolutely. Well, yeah. yeah, let's look, you know, look at that. So I, I've got a lot of friends. So I'm 24 years old. You've got a lot of friends. Showing up. That's, that is, yeah. I, I, I can't quantify that statement. <laughs> but he, I, has, he has three. I, I know some people. Two of them are sitting I know, I know some people, yeah. I know, some, you know, people of my age and lads who I grew up with or uh, have, you know, met since, and they, they like their shooting. And they may be, you know, they duck flight on a local farm. They shoot a few rabbits. And a few of them have got deer rifles and will come up and stalk with me. And they come up and stalk with me for three days a year because that's what they can afford to do. And so many of these people want to stalk deer. And in our, you know, in, in that younger age category, can't afford to go stag stalking or go for a week's hind stalking. And so deer stalking is basically closed off to them. I reckon the average age of client that I get is probably 50. Which would make sense because your disposable yeah. income at that age Absolutely. is really greatest. Yeah. But the flip side of it is that's kind of when, if if we were managing deer with recreational stalking, <laughs> that's <laughs> when you're getting towards the least effective. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, what you want is a load of hungry 20-odd-year-old lads who... Who can graft it. Yeah, who can graft and who can carry those deer out of the forest and can put in the hours and the physical side of that to to get those deer shot. And I think, you know, if you've got a a tag system that did allow visitor tags, so people from, you know, people from England to come to Scotland and that kind of stuff, it, it allows, it opens up deer stalking to a whole bunch of people that presently maybe like the idea of it but don't have the opportunity. And I think that's the kind of crucial thing. If you want to get involved in, in, in shooting, with shotgun shooting, I mean by that, in the south of England, there's lots of clay pigeon shooting clubs you can go to. And so you go to some clay pigeon shooting clubs and then people are like, well, what do you do next? Okay, so you go and knock on some farmer's fields to shoot some pigeons or doing whatever you do. And they go and knock on no. doors <laughs> and not, not fields. Not, <laughs> I'm uh, just picturing this knocking on the fields. Hello. I'm, yeah, Hello. absolutely. You're in that situation, mate. Nobody normally lets me talk for this long. I'm just like well out of my depth. My dog does and even he gets bored. Um, but, you know, it is it is stalking. It's my, of all the pursuits we have in this country, you know, country pursuits as we call them and hunting as they call them elsewhere, to me stalking is without question the best. And I have to say that, but I, I do believe it. I think it's often the most challenging. It gives you one of the closest connections uh, definitely with for nature. Me. Yeah. It, it in a lot of ways takes the most out of you as well. You have to, you can't, 
go and wing it. You can't, you can, you know, if you've got some money, you can go and buy a peg on a day shooting and turn up and shoot at things and be useless and have a nice day. And because you've paid the money, that's fine. If you come stalking and you miss your deer, what are the, you know, you have less opportunity. There is this, this reverence to it, this reverence to it that, that it, because deer, for whatever reason, seem to have a slightly different connection to us than birds and everything else. It, it is on this slightly higher plane, I think, in that way. And that's something certainly that I feel, and I, I think it's something that's shared by most of the people that come hunting with me, is that uh, it is like a step up, almost, in some way. But something within our within our DNA from, you know, if you think about it, we've been hunting deer in Scotland since we turned up. Yeah, they've been part of our uh, life, absolutely. part they, of our They really have been. That You know, we and the red deer have evolved together, and when you look at, you know these people, these ancient skeletons they find in bogs and all that sort of stuff, you invariably find antler on them. Be it made into tools or headdresses for dancing ceremonies or whatever, you find parts of red deer with those people. This, you know, and it's only very recently that for the vast majority of people we've disconnected. Like, you look at the period of the time that people have been around and you look at how recently they have disconnected from wildlife and especially you know, it's their prey species. It's only the last 60, 70 years. Absolutely. That, yeah. yeah. And even even if you turn around and say, well, the average person stopped hunting deer 300 years ago, that's still no time at all. No, in the grand scheme yeah. of things. <laughs> yeah, in like, the terms of oh, oh, yeah, your DNA, yeah. of your makeup as, of, of what you are, that's like just a, a, a blip of a thing. Uh, and so, and I don't know if that's the reason that it's got this connection, but it definitely has. And I think there's so many people missing out on that because, you know, and... and I'm going to hold my hand up and say that, you know, coming stalking with me is probably not the cheapest option, but I have a business to run and I, I enjoy eating and, and occasionally having some money. So I, I have Christmas to charge. Up. I do indeed. <laughs> uh, so I've got to buy a lot of Baileys and gin and things like that. Uh, but, you know, you, you've got to make a business and it's an expensive thing to do. You know, running running a machine, and a quad bike or an Arga cat and a pickup truck and having an estate rifle and a tracking dog and all these different things. All has costs. I mean, Jesus, I spend like 400 quid a year on boots. you've got to charge to take people out in that in that sense and you know the estate's got to make some money as well and everything else and so therefore as i say i think there's this pool of people who could be really competent deer stalkers and could the access point yeah it's just not there um so going back to kind of how we got on this line this line of discussion no no don't don't apologize (laughs) the tangents are awesome um how do we change the public perception and view on on deer? Because oh Jesus, yeah, I mean it's 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 almost the impossible question, isn't it? But I think where we've ended up is we have an issue where there is a lot of negative connotations with deer and deer and, and numbers and numbers, yeah. And yeah, it is like the Atlantic salmon, an iconic species of Scotland. It is you you imagine the stag's head, and like that is Scotland. It has Scotland written all over it, and yet. Here we have them being treated on a level that doesn't reflect the kind of iconic status. If you ask most people what they think our national animal is, they would probably go stag, even though it's the unicorn. Mm. Is it really? (laughs) Yeah, the Scottish national animal is the unicorn. Of course. I think think it should be the red grouse because it is miserable and thrives in inclement weather. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But no, I I think that brings up a really interesting point in that 
actually you look so let's look at deer and how you know i i see myself as a, as a deer man first and foremost and before i make money from from shooting them and managing them uh i i am a passionate human being about deer as a, as a as a species as i just find them fascinating i spend hours watching them i have a, there is a herd of pet seeker deer that live in my garden uh, as much to the dislike of my Bavarian bloodhound that wants to kill them all, I just find them amazing, you know, and and I love watching them and studying them and learning about them. And we're at that stage now. And this is the thing, and I speak to people who are involved in places where the, they are shooting deer very hard. And there seems to be this attitude. I was speaking the other day to someone, uh, and I, I can't name where it is, but he, you know, he works for someone that is shooting the deer very hard uh for for their own management objective and we were chatting and i said are you not worried that you're kind of shooting yourself out of a job and he said i oh, don't worry they'll be back in 20 years and the, there is kind of this undertone of attitude with certain people and not all people but with certain people within the industry that it's uh, an irresistible resource that this like ugh, the deer will It'll always be here yeah. and my i think how i feel about that my response to that is yes but when white people turned up in America, there was 600 million bison. And 200 years later, there might have been a thousand of them. Yeah, I think it was down to a few hundred. Actually. It really was. Yeah. And, it, and it ironically, was Buffalo Bill, who, and among others, who, who championed, you know, a buffalo hunter that championed the return of the bison. And I feel in Scotland, there is a great parable to draw, to, to draw with the people standing up going, leave the deer alone, are the stalkers now. Mm. Um, and everywhere else in the world when they talk about anti-hunting, they talk about people who don't want you to shoot the deer. And here, uh, anti-hunting in very much, you know, inverted commas, is the people who want to kill all the deer. And I think that's a really strange situation we find ourselves in. And when I look at that, I can, and and it's it's something I really don't want to do is, is talk about politics, but I think we can trace that quite clearly to a government at the moment that seemed to have a very... Um, a very urban perspective. Well, that's where our that. mass of our population is, and that's yeah. where the votes come from. And you see, there's just, uh, and I'll point out, and I'm not going to talk about sporting rates in, in any detail because I don't know a lot about it, but I was speaking to a landowner recently who was going to create three blocks of native woodland. He won't be doing that no he more. He was going to fence he? them off. <laughs> and, the, you know, they were, they, were, they were hill grassland, acidic grassland on a hill, and he was going to fence them off and plant them with native woodland. And that is something we need to do to meet our EU, well, maybe we don't anymore because we're not in it, but, you know, our, our climate change targets and our woodland creation, and we're supposed to be 25% the, 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 of woodland. Scott, yeah, yeah. Like that 25%. Uh, all of that stuff that we keep harping on about as being really important, the government have just turned around and say, if you plant that area with woodland and make it, let's be honest, from a natural resource point of view, a far more valuable thing, which will harbour the woodcock we were talking about earlier, provide the deer the shelter, a whole host of, of advantages to that. They're going to charge him more money a year than the if he rate. leaves it. Yeah. yeah, he's going to pay five pounds, five a, pounds hectare, a hectare, I believe, yeah. for that. So he's turned round, having fenced off the blocks, and was about to start planting them next year, and gone. Nope. So he's paid for the fencing, he's and now he's not going to plant them because yeah. it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't make, make, sense. make sense anymore. Doesn't make financial sense. And he's, you know, he's a far cleverer human being than I am. He's a very good businessman. And those are the people we have. This great in Scotland, we have so lucky. I think that vast tracts of our sort of natural land i don't want to say wilderness but you know the the land that we consider wilderness or some people do managed wilderness yeah our, our managed wilderness is owned by 
in in a lot of cases very rich very passionate people who want to spend their money that they've earned in other industries conserving improving and and looking after these areas and we seem to have a government that is dead set on getting rid of them and it's a government that can't afford policemen so you can bloody <laughs> guarantee that trees aren't going to be high on the list i think it's uh from the public point of view it's very much misunderstood that not all but the vast majority of these uh, rich landowners you know as you've kind of painted the picture they are spending a huge amount of money in the improvement of the landscape. Some of them, it's colossal. Like, and yeah. most of them are actually making a massive loss every year. Yeah. So how can we possibly think that we could do... Better. Better, because where would we find the money is the yeah. issue. And oh, and, and this these, these philanthropic people, they're not new. Some of them have been here for hundreds of years they've been doing this. Um not the same person. No. Um, but, you know, <laughs> that would be impressive. Gen- yeah. Generations of people uh, have have this passion for these places. And all right, they might not live there. And the crime might be that they make their money somewhere else, you know, be it in London or Singapore or Dubai or wherever. But I, you know, as, as someone that works in lots of rural areas in Scotland, I mean, hardly anywhere else, the people bothered about you know, the community, the landscape, the nature, who can do something about it, are the estate owners. They're the people that come up for however often they do. And a lot of these people, you know, they they love being a part of that community and going to the pub and speaking with people. And, you know, the old, I don't even know if it's true or not, but the old Duke of Westminster, who apparently used to go to the post office every August and write a check for how much money they'd lost, because it was important for him, for those people to have a post office in that community. He doesn't live there. And if you listen to to land reform and, and these people that are against the way Scotland's land ownership is, those people don't exist. They're all evil, horrible people who it's a tax dodge where they can kill stuff and they don't care about nature and they don't care about the people there and they're this kind of weird uh, lunatic that enjoys you know casting people out to the four winds and has a big cloak and a stick. And and I think that's just such a such a dangerous thing to have, you know. Th- Joys of technology, batteries ran out, but we would. I was just gonna pick up on your point there, which was to tie in everything that you've just said to the deer, which is that the deer seem to be intrinsically tied with these people. And do you think that that is where the sort of it's not quite hatred, but yeah. dislike of the population comes from? I think so. I think. You know, in the same way that a lot of people said that the fox hunting ban in England in 2003 was more of a class war thing than about foxes, I think you can see a lot of the, you know, if we get rid of the deer, then we'll get rid of those people that own an estate for deer stalking. Uh, I I hope I hope that doesn't happen because uh, I'll be out of a job, uh, and I would like to think that our government is cleverer and less malicious than that. But I've never seen any evidence of it yet, you know. That, like I said, the the thing about the sporting rates, and that's a whole. If people want to look into that, then I'd recommend you do, and I'd recommend you if you if it affects you, then speak to Scottish Land and Estates who are doing some amazing work mm. on that. And also, I can also say that Cheen and Tate, that which is an accountancy firm in Edinburgh, they put yeah. out a very big piece of information yeah. on it. Which I mean, they're just numbers people, so well, you and that, know the to be honest with you, that's exactly who you want because I'm yeah. buggered if I can tell you about it. <laughs> It's really complicated. Um, 
and it it seems I I don't understand any logic behind it either. It's made no sense to me because um, it's not really achieving what I thought was the point behind it. It will cost it, the money. Oh, it's like, it's it they're not going to make any money. money from this. Yeah. And it's if nothing else, it's just going to alienate more people because I've spoken to crofters on the west coast who've had a self assessment form, yeah. and these are that you know they are exactly who our government says it, it represents. Well, they're just going to have to apply for the relief, which is yeah. more paperwork. Yeah, which will, which they'll get. Um, <coughs> talking about talking about crofters, just because it's now on my mind. I mean, and it kind of ties into the skewed thinking, like. The, the the sporting rates, but we want to encourage for, encourage forestry, and the sporting rates are now basically going against planting of forestry. Is what we've seen recently up in Assent with with the, the crofters there. What is your? Uh, I mean, we haven't actually covered it on the podcast, although we we talked about it just slightly. But what is your kind of view on that? Have My you, and I, I have to be absolutely honest that it, it happened during the stalking season. So you were a bit consumed. And it it, uh, it registered with me, and I I gleaned a little bit of information about what was happening but I'm not involved and I probably missed a lot as well but as far as I can tell and this is a lot of reading between the lines um, SNH were looking so they have mandatory powers in which, through, through the Deer Act that they can intervene uh, and there was a review or a report to government that basically said uh, on the and all of this goes to the goes back to an attack on the voluntary principle of deer management. Basically, so this was the volu- community ownership. Yeah. Well, I'll, yeah. Are you going to cover that? I'll, I'll, yeah. So I'll Go just try and explain voluntary principle. So basically, the way it works in Scotland, if you own the land, you are responsible for the deer management on that land, and you decide your own kill figures. You can kill all the deer, or you can kill none of the deer. And legally, there's not a lot of interaction until they start to damage uh, designated sites for you know. Um, the likes of a site of scientific, in- a special scientific interest, or something like that, and then you get into SNH's powers of intervention, where they can uh, make an agreement with you to cull more deer. They can actually, at some point, um, they can put in their own members of staff or contractors, kill the deer and bill you for it. Um, and at the at the sort of the final, um, the final crack of the whip if you like under the deer act is the section 10 which is a uh, follow and kill notice so they can actually put a boundary around if there's a problem estate where they haven't shot enough deer and they're affecting designated sites then snh can put a boundary around that that goes into other people's land and so that they can follow and kill those deer onto other people's land that probably haven't done anything wrong and that's a massively simplified and possibly not in like technical description it of gives it. people an idea but it, it gives you a rough idea and so but as far as i can understand the ascent um which was the which is now the longest standing community owned estate in scotland yeah i uh, think it was one of the it was yeah the first it was buyout. the first yeah. uh, and it's an amazing place if anybody hasn't been to ascent i'd really recommend you go because it's just one of those areas of scotland and the world that is truly beautiful and, uh, Lots and of one of those places, too. <laughs> yeah, some amazing trout fishing, like some of the best trout fishing, and one of those places where you can stand at the bottom of a strath and just be humbled, and you just stand there and you just you can kind of stand there and take it in and go, we don't really matter at all. Like nature's got this covered, and I I think those places are amazing and there's something we need to protect. Anyway, so that's a tangent, but so it's community owned estate. Um, the community bought it out at least 20 years ago, possibly I longer. I can't remember the I think it might be 21. Mm. Anyway, I was very wee, so it doesn't really bother me. Uh, but basically, SNH, um, on there is a place called the Ardvar Woodland, which, as far as I can tell, is a birch woodland with some oak regeneration coming into it. 
and the the estate, the community and estate were involved in, I think, a forestry commission contract to improve that uh, and, and in, increase the amount of oak cover within the woodland. Anyway, so this last year, probably, was that July, August time? I think it, it was early season. Yeah, yeah, it, it was must have been early season. season. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so uh, an SNH turned around and For anyone that doesn't know, SNH stands for Scottish Natural Heritage. It does. Yeah. We, we, we have a lot of we we have foreign have listeners. A lot of so. foreign listeners. Okay, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. So that's the government body that's in charge of, in short, nature in Scotland. It's a bit like the game and wildlife department, I suppose. Yeah, yeah so fish and game type stuff game, in America, yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, so they turned around and threatened the crofters with... I think they'd offered them a Section 7, which is a voluntary agreement to reduce deer numbers. And then they threatened them with a Section 8 this year. And basically said, if you don't get your house in order and kill all these deer, um, we'll come and do it for you and we'll bill you. And the crofters turned around and said, no, we like the deer. They're part of our income. They're yeah, part so of our identity. Interest, yeah. And by the way, last year, the Forestry Commission paid us a grant. And the, sorry, the basis of that, the basis of this whole Section 8 and the pressure from SNH came about because of that woodland, the Ardval woodland being, and the they said, trees, and the oak yeah. trees being in poor condition. And what the crofters returned, and I say the crofters by the, the, the community and estate is what I should call them, they turned around and said, well, A, the deer are an important part of our income, they secure employment, you know, meat, all of these advantages we all know from having a, a, a population of deer that can be managed properly. Uh so we don't want you to come and shoot them. And B, the Forestry Commission paid us a grant because our woodland is getting better. So you've got one government agency, the Forestry Commission, saying, well done you, your trees are growing. And the other government agency is saying, because your trees aren't growing, we're going to come and kill all your deer and charge you 70 grand or something ludicrous. Uh, so this went to the head and the community went to the press with it, basically, and said, quite rightly so, the government's picking on us. Yeah. And I think a lot of, and this is purely my opinion and uh, reading a lot between the lines, but because of SNH's, this whole thing at the moment of, of, uh, of, of challenging deer management and how we do it, there has been a drive by certain people to uh, basically nationalise deer and to take away the voluntary principle from a state so you, you are not in charge of your own deer management. The state will tell you what to cull. Which is a very kind of Scandinavian kind of thing. Scandinavian, American. It works yeah. in a lot of places in the world. Um, but the state will, you know, it will be it will be managed by them. They will tell you what to cull. They will tell you what level of deer is acceptable uh, and that kind of stuff. So they've been, certain people have been pushing for that to happen because they see that as a way to reduce deer numbers. And we go back to that Caledonian forest thing, intrinsically tree clover, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and so I, I, I see, I, I can see what happened in Ascent as I think SNH were trying to flex their muscles. I was going to say, it and almost seemed like a bit of a test. It, it, I think it was. And I think a lot of that they picked Ascent, I think, because historically crofters have not always been the biggest fans of deer. Yeah, but that's very uh, true. Because, very you know, true. they come and eat the silage parks and everything else. And crofters, I remember somebody telling me, and it was somebody that worked for SNH a long time ago, and I asked them why they would pick on the deer and they never picked on sheep. Their answer was that deer are owned by rich people and sheep are owned by poor people. And therefore, we will crucify deer, but we leave sheep alone. And I remember thinking at the time how hypocritical that was for a number of reasons. Uh, but we've got six million sheep in Scotland, and if we're so worried about overgrazing by large herbivores, 
and we're killing the, all the deer because they're eating stuff. Should we not worry about all the sheep, which, funnily enough, also eat things? Very pertinent um, point. Uh, it has, at anyway. some point in the past, that was brought up on the podcast. Yeah. I can't remember who by, yeah. but yeah, it is all grazing pressure. Yeah. It's all it, a mouth. A tree doesn't know whether it gets eaten by a deer or a sheep or anything else. Yeah. It's it's large herbivores um, that really you categorize it. Anyway, so I think it was SNH, as you say, trying to flex their muscles a little bit and try and basically show off and say, well, when deer management is not going well, we, we're not scared to get involved. Because up until then, they hadn't got involved in many places. Now, I see that as probably the voluntary principle working in the most part was why they didn't have to get involved with section eights and that kind of stuff. Um, and I think they went to challenge Ascent thinking that the community understate would say, yeah, all right, we don't mind the deer. We're sheep farmers. We don't care. Come and kill them all. And they'd go and do it and everything else was fine. And in fact, the crofters turned around and said, no, we They're like the deer. Us, yeah. Sort of come and take them kind of thing. And SNH backed down pretty damn quickly. Uh, a few MSPs really got their fingers burnt. And having said really derogatory things on social media, <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, got yeah, yeah. an absolute trouncing, which I think they deserved. And I think it was it was actually nice to see us win a little battle for once. Um, and the and the thing that I don't understand, and there's and this is something I, I remember it being brought up at a meeting, and I can't remember who brought it up, but it was a really valid point. All of this flack comes around designated sites, which is areas that have been chosen by uh, sort of in line with European guidelines by members of SNH and, and whatever else to designate them as being important for whatever reason. It could be a birch woodland. It could be a type of bog. Uh, it could be because there's Juniper eagles side. there, otters, you name it. Um, and these designations are what all the fuss is about. So where people are getting hammered about deer numbers, and don't get me wrong, I was talking earlier about the numbers of deer in Scotland. I don't disagree that there's areas in Scotland that have too many deer. Yeah, localised Lo- but it But it is very localised and it is population dependent. I think in the Cairngorms, realistically, if, uh, I can see red deer in the Cairngorms being in a lot of trouble in, in the future because there's a lot of people who have shot them really hard mm. uh, and continue to do so. And that's their choice and it's their deer, so you know, you, you crack on kind of thing. But I can see the, the Cairngorm red deer population being in, in serious trouble. And they can't move in the same way that they used to move. No, they can't. Some estates. Uh, yeah, well, people have fenced people have fenced deer out and for whatever reason, because they're producing grouse, because they're producing trees. Uh, and there's a lot of people have, have killed deer very hard as well. But yeah, it, deer are very a very localised issue, if you like, if you want to call them an issue. It's a very local thing. And in some areas, I think there is too many deer. And I think they will be damaging various places but in other areas the deer are managed well and certain designated sites may be in poor condition but that's a not always the deer's fault and b these things you know let's say let's let's agree and say right well there was too many deer for a long period of time uh and now that we know the designate the designated site is in poor condition uh, so we've culled all the deer or we've culled a lot of deer we've brought the densities right down to where we find it acceptable based on their science um Surely that must take a period of time to fix itself. Yeah, it's not going like, to be. It one can't year. be immediate, yeah. uh, because nature takes time to do everything. And I think all of this comes back to this sort of political angle of it, which I really don't like. Um, and so, in some areas, I think we probably do have a problem. In other areas, not so much. But I think one of the, the serious things is that this is all about designated sites. And I seem to remember someone telling me that only about 14% of the upland red deer range in Scotland is designated. And we have so little knowledge 
of the rest of it. Hmm. Uh, and I'd love to have the actual figure here, but I have in my head that that number. Um, and 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 other than that, it seems like S and H don't really care. It see, like you've got a woodland that's designated, and you've got a woodland that hasn't. So there's a lot of focus on it. Yeah, there's a lot of focus on where it's designated, uh, and there's bugger all is you know nobody cares about what happens if it's not designated and there's some great some seriously great uh ecosystems habitats that aren't designated that i know of that are absolutely fantastic and if you want a good example of oak woodland i can point you to some absolute belters that aren't designated and they've been left alone and they're doing really well and it's a brilliant thing and another deer no- there uh, yeah, in some places, yeah. absolutely. But ma- probably ma- in managed areas. Is uh, yeah, I mean, there's not many places where deer aren't managed yeah. in Scotland. Uh, but, and certainly, don't get me wrong, you're not going to get, you know, you're not going to get huge regeneration of woodland if you've got lots of deer. The flip side of it, oak woodland's a really interesting one because actually, it doesn't. Uh, and this is a very complicated thing for me to to explain based on the fact that I was taught it a number of years ago and very rarely think about it but essentially oak woodland because of um because of how it works it won't grow other oaks underneath it okay so you've got a mature oak woodland mm. and it'll drop acorns but they won't grow properly while there's not space in the canopy okay so so they have to go on the periphery of it absolutely yeah. so you've got an oak woodland and in the middle is a big oak tree and it falls over dead one day Right, so you've got a you've got a hole in that canopy, right? There is a school of thought, and as I say, I can't back this up scientifically, and I should be able to. Had I done my research before I came here, I would have done, um, but instead I got a bit drunk last night with a mate, and so <laughs> there you go. Uh, and, and so your your oak tree dies, and you've got a hole in that canopy. There is an argument to say that a presence of graze, grazers in that environment are good because when the acorn falls and the tree starts to grow there is not too much competition at a ground level for that tree to grow up so you think it's falling into an area with open areas and and a relatively you know a a grazed understory compared to it falls into an area of really thick bracken where's your tree going to grow better so deer and and all you know because cattle in woodland and pigs in woodland can also be really useful but we can't you know i go back to that point is it really a forest if there's not deer in it? And that's now something that I'm starting to hear from people that are pro-forest, is they accept that they need an element of of deer. It doesn't need to be one or the other. Absolutely. Yeah. We can have, we can have you know, mixed use. And I think that's perfect because I look at the areas where red deer... And, you know, let's go back to the fact that I'm a deer man. My passion is deer. I'm always going to come out on the side of them. As much as I try and be objective, I, I'm always going to side with the deer. Um, and I look at the areas where they do really well, and they have woodland cover that they have access to. Let's not forget that they're a forest animal first and foremost. So I don't want some barren grass upland completely covered in deer and nothing else, because I know for to have exceptional deer, you need to ha- they need to have access to woodland. Um, for a whole myriad of reasons that is very complicated. And, Shelter yeah. being, being yeah, absolutely. The, the basic being that if you don't want them to do badly because of exposure they need to be able to get into shelter and corries and everything else is good but it's not nearly as good as a nice thick bit of woodland that's nice and warm for them uh and yeah so i i've rambled now for a very long time <laughs> about that and i'm going to shut up and... <laughs> no I, I, I think uh you're going to have a lot there's going to be a lot of cog spinning in people's minds i hope so because I, mean, I think we need to try and, and it's a very difficult thing to quantify without actually literally speaking to everybody but 
if this if you assume that we're, I mean we're sitting in Scotland, we're primarily talking about Scotland because that's where I, you know, most of the hunting is that you do. The the land of Scotland, although it's private, uh, a lot of it's privately owned, and we talked about the publicly owned. It is our country. What do we want it to look like? And I don't think really people want to see it without deer. They don't want to just see it with deer and no trees. They don't want to see it with all trees and no deer. And I think there needs to be a bit more uh, of a yeah. sensible and approach. My, and this sounds a really strange thing, but my barometer, because I, I, I meet hillwalkers quite a lot and I talk to them and I do meet them and I make an absolute, and I think this is something we need to be better at as as an industry, if we want to call ourselves that, which I think is a bit, bit, bit weird, but whatever we are. I make a point of stopping and talking to hillwalkers. When I'm on the hill with clients, I'll, you know, stop with the clients. They can have a sit down and I will talk to hillwalkers that I meet or mountain bikers or whatever they are, bird watchers, whatever. And I'll explain to them what we're doing. I won't say we're deer stalking police down the path. I'll explain to them where the deer are, why we're stalking those deer and why it's important. And we have to do that. But what the, what what I'm going to say is is that I don't probably meet that many people that are that you know i probably don't meet that many members of the public if you like i generally work in places where they don't want to be and while i will go and speak to hillwalkers generally i try and stick out of the way because i'm trying to get into deer and popping up on the skyline and speaking to a bloke in a cagoule is not really a great plan um so i tend to scout out of the way but my father lives near glenafric uh, uh just near Bewley, and that's an amazing place it's fantastic caledonian pine forest and he he's got a german pointer that um seems to require about 82 miles of exercise a day so that it's only slightly mental uh, so dad spends quite a lot of time walking dogs in Glen African around there and he speaks to a lot of people and he was telling me only the other day because we were talking about the deer and I was grumbling about you know them all being shot at and everything else and he said the number of people he speaks to and you're chatting away and they said oh we haven't seen any deer or do you know where we can see deer? And these are people that have visited from here, abroad, wherever. But part of, as you say, part of the Scotland they want to come and see has got the monarch of the Glen in it. Yes. It, yeah. You know, it, it's a quintessential... It's an intrinsic part of you know, the landscape. It's, it's Glenfiddich. It's, it's all these things that we value as our identity. It, it, you know, part of that is deer. Not all of it, but part of it is. And I think we we should celebrate that more. I think we should... You know, and we and we should make try and make people more aware of not only the fact that they're there on a mountain and aren't they really amazing and really pretty, but they're there on that mountain because we manage them. Mm. And, and as you said at the very start, they are a natural resource. Yeah, and like, it's there an to be it's, it's there to be managed and used and harvested. Yeah, absolutely, and 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 that's a crucial thing. You know, you you look at. I look at, at the world and at global warming and all these various things that we're facing and you look at, okay, ethical, you know, trying to live ethically, if you like, and trying to reduce your impact, your negative impact on the planet. Part of that is you have to look at the food that you consume and and where that comes from and what impact that has on the planet. And I'm, you know, I'm as you said earlier, I'm driving down the road to go to my mother's house for Christmas and in the footwell of my pickup which is something i recommend everybody buys by the way is a cool box that plugs into the cigarette lighter and if you do any traveling with as we probably all do as 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 hunters and stalkers and everything else but with meat you're going to give to people they're like 30 quid in aldi go and buy one because it keeps everything frozen so i'm going to drive for seven hours down the road today stop with you guys for a bit stop in kelso and wherever else and that meat's still going to be frozen when i get there but down at the bottom there is a, is a hind made into sausages, steaks, burgers, 
couple of roasting joints. And that, or I'm driving it to Cumbria, so I probably shoot myself in the foot. But generally, that is a resource of meat that you can't beat for its impact on the planet, for its taste and its its health benefits to you as a person. There's nothing to touch it. But you I mean you were driving to Cumbria anyway, but your point being yeah. is that your New Zealand lamb, which is absolutely. rife yeah, sorry, in our yeah, shops, it's yeah. the the environmental impact of bringing that lamb from New Zealand to here is huge. Yeah, absolutely. And you uh, and I have some really, I, I you know I uh, as you can probably tell I love talking to people, uh, and I remember having a. You haven't noticed. No, <laughs> I'm practicing. I'm getting better. You know. Uh, I was. I remember sitting and chatting with someone at dinner at a friend of mine's house in Deeside a while ago. Who and she was very. She was a vegan, and she was explaining that she's a vegan because of the planet, and not because she doesn't like meat or she doesn't agree with meat. But it is not. It's not part of this uh diet that she's created to have a, a, a reduced impact and i have a lot of respect for that and i really i think what she's trying to do is really impressive uh and she's trying to minimize her footprint on the world and especially through how she eats it but i was kind of sat there going yeah but you could definitely eat wild meat and wild meat you source locally yourself ticks all of those boxes and also, by the way, just on the point about vegans, and it was something I remember that coming up there is, has anybody ever met a lifelong vegan? Because I've only ever met vegans no. that have either been doing it for a bit or ones that were a vegan and gave up. I've only met... I haven't. I've, met, I've not met a lot, to be fair. Yeah. So I've, no. only, I've only met ones exactly what you've just yeah. said, either recently kind of started... Which you can tell because they're thin and pasty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, or have given... Yeah. Oh, not, not, not given up, but gone to more of a vegetarian diet. Absolutely. And they've started... Because... And I, I think that, you know... And I don't really know what I'm talking about on this, but surely that's because we are... You know, we've designed to eat meat and... We've we evolved another, that way. I mean, you know, that's, you, not, that's undeniable. That yeah, and you've got... They, you must have to eat... A lot of they, they do deny it though. There is, I've watched, in fact, only last week I watched a video of a vegan denying denying that our uh, the reason why we've evolved with our teeth the way they are. Apparently, it's for cracking nuts and berries, which no, I've got no doubt that we obviously did eat nuts and Absolutely. berries. Absolutely, uh, but we do have canines. Well, yeah. there was research out, I think yeah. it was just this year, about our brain development uh, and, and, and yeah, the consumption, it, of, consumption protein. of protein developed right, okay. the brain, our brain yeah, the way awesome. it is today yeah. and the um, uh, really i think i talked about this before um my wife she follows quite a few yoga people on okay. on instagram and she there was one an australian woman and she went vegan earlier this year and she did it for about three four months and then gave it up and then she, her huge explanation of why she gave up because she actually became physically sick unhealthy she said it was a ridiculous amount of vitamins she was having to take to um, supplement to supplement it and I was like, well, yeah, it kind of makes sense if you're not taking in everything you need. And that's where I think a vegetarian diet's more of the the middle ground in between. Yeah. Or even just, I think you could quite reasonably have a, you know, a, and there's there seems to be guys in the States doing this now who are... Is it, the, is it the, the guy, the Facebook manny? Did he not Which start? one, Sam? <laughs> no, like, no, the guy who started Facebook. Uh, Mark, what the hell's Mark his name? Zuckerberg. Him, I. Yeah, Lo- Locavore. That's what they're Is that what that's called? Yeah. yeah, and he started only eating stuff he killed himself. Yeah. yeah. And, it, and it, he it got is- loads of flack for it. But you can't, like, that is a seriously cool thing to do, and you can't not respect someone who'd take that decision. It's def- There's definitely that movement coming in from the States. As always, we are miles behind right. when it comes to that. And I, it, yeah. I've seen a little bit of it here, sort of it's becoming a kind of trendy hipster thing down in London where people want to go and take a life to eat that life. And that's, that's okay. Like, that what? seems okay. And, and I would definitely encourage people, 
well, first of all, what you said, definitely be concerned about our impact on this planet because our impact is quite disgusting as a, as a human race. <clears throat> but there is a lot that you can do to alleviate it. And from a food point of view, just look at game. Yeah. Because there is such an easy way to shift your meat impact. Do you know what I thought was really cool uh, on, the, on the internet again, as all these things you see? Uh, there was this girl and she was talking about environmental impact but to do with plastics not to do with what you're eating and she was basically trying to reduce her her plastic intake to the house to next to nothing that was her goal and she basically achieved it i think by the end of the year it was like a handful of rubbish she had and she basically achieved it by going to the butcher instead of uh supermarket. supermarket and she would go to the butcher with her own things for her to put so it, it in so, so it didn't have to be wrapped so she could reuse it and then she was going to the the grocery store like a local grocery store to pick up loose vegetables uh, once again and then everything else like her marmalades and jam she made them all herself and jarred it and all her all her stuff was stored in glass jars that could be reused and it was just uh, something like that I just thought you know that's kind of the the crazy thing about that everything that you've just described there is how it used to be yeah milk bottles is a prime example I I remember it was amazing used to have the glass milk bottles in the milk box the milkman would come drop them off and then you get your new I used ones to love pressing the foil pressing top. the foil top <laughs> and yeah it probably became not cost effective to one have the milkman secondly have to wash them but an environmental point of view having those milk bottles yeah. reused and you say you say it's not cost effective but now if you and I have a very little bit of experience about this uh, through something else which I'll talk about in a second but if you started a like an ethical organic free range dairy that did everything in glass bottles and people could be a member of your dairy club yeah, you'd charge people in London like eighty quid a week to get a bottle of meat. No, no, category. Yeah. I think uh, when it when the milkman kind of thing that was in the nineties. Yeah, well, yeah. So I just I missed. I was born in ninety three. Uh, you I were looking I, a bit blank. I was there. like, yeah, I think you were starting to sound a bit like my I'm dad. A, I'm only a few years. <laughs> you know that uh, back I'm in a, my day sort of thing. I'm I was only like getting that way. Six yeah. years older. I, I'm, I'm only a few years older than yeah. you, but I distinctly because I still know the milkman's name. It was Ronnie. Yeah, there you <laughs> so, go, Roddy, yeah. Roddy, We must sorry, have Roddy. just missed it. Um, but no, that, so there's something that I've now... Shit, have we... Oh, I can't swear, sorry. You, you, that's you can. okay. Can you, can. you swear? You can, yeah. yeah we just have to put we the, just put we, a little explicit yeah. sign. We've or or to, beep you. Okay, that's good. And we've, I'll had, tell, we've had all sorts of stuff dropped yeah. on this before. And I'll, t- I'll tell my mum not to listen to it, because she hates <laughs> it, honestly. Um, but uh, yeah, so the past... One, two... So the past th- three... Three years, uh, I've been involved with a restaurant in London called Lyle's, which is in Shoreditch, uh, which for anybody that isn't in the restaurant scene, and I have to hold my hand up and say I didn't know who they were before they organised this, but it's run by a guy called James Lowe, who's a fantastic chef. Uh, he's studied with sort of Heston Blumenthal and at a place called St. John's, and he, he pioneered and, and was part of that movement of nose-to-tail eating that became trendy a few years ago. James very much thinks like that, and he is a really passionate game chef. Um, and he loves cooking game, and his restaurant has a set menu. So if he's cooking game, and at this time of year he invariably is, people eat it. And he's got his Michelin star, and it's it, I've got a cousin that lives in London. And I remember when I rang her up, uh, when they, they they rang me up a few years ago, so three years ago they rang up and basically said, we want to bring a load of chefs from all over the world to Scotland uh, and take them shooting and, and hunting with you, and then they'll cook these dinners in London, uh, and they'll use game, and they'll be inspired by their time in Scotland. And I said, yeah, that sounds really cool. And at the time, it was about September, 
and he wanted to do I, I had about two months notice the first year and I was really busy and I was like yeah that sounds great but I'm really manic and and I had no idea who he was so I rang up my cousin in London who's quite trendy and knows London things and I was like have you ever heard of this restaurant and she was like oh it's amazing it's like the place in London I was like oh interesting and he wants to come and shoot deer so anyway we've now done that for the past three years and we've had a scalp of chefs from all over the world and they come here and they go shooting and hunting uh and fishing as well we take them salmon fishing uh which is a bit of an oxymoron because we take them fishing on the d and you can't kill the salmon you catch on the d so they have to sort of look at supper and then watch it swim away um so but we get these chefs in and we you know, we we try and teach them a bit about why we're doing these things and, and everything else. And they, you know, they shoot deer, rabbits, pigeons, ducks, um, and skin them out. And they they get involved in every part of that. And they go to London and 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 take that to that market of people and say, you know, this is what inspired us in Scotland. But weirdly, on the kind of strange uh, strange stuff of that is. I've never ever been stalking before with people and quite a lot of it's woodland stalking because we've got to do it in the morning and the evening so you're stalking like through birch woodlands for roebuck and stag if if something's about and whatever else and you're creeping through and you like see a deer and you're like right okay so we're just going to put the sticks up and uh, when it turns broadside you know that sort of chat that yeah. every stalker has with every client and nothing happens and you turn around and there's 60 yards behind you picking mushrooms <laughs> and you're like F- sake and uh, we have that every year and it's like an already i do it with some really good friends of mine that i work with and uh so a couple of us times talking to everyone else and it's like this like on running joke and the latest one this year was uh you know the like the green crusty lichen that grows on birch trees oh yeah like yeah it's not old man's beer but it's not it's not as soft as that but you know exactly what i mean yeah so the kind of crusty version of old man's beard is 200 euros a kilogram in copenhagen what yeah, and they deep. There's loads it. of it. There's loads of it, and <laughs> Hold I'm kind on of a second. yeah, exactly. And I'm kind of shooting myself in the foot because I was thinking about going into this market, leaving deer alone, and going into lichen. Because when the Scottish government have shot all the deer, <laughs> I'll collect lichen, and they can eat it in Copenhagen. Um, but these people and they come, and what I've found, and it's amazing because you get such a vast, and you know, they come from Mexico and Singapore and all over the world, and they come here and. They, in most of these places, in Australia and in America and quite a few other countries, you can't sell wild game. They can't ring up a game dealer and get a wild deer carcass. It cannot be done. A bit a bit like you, you can't sell uh, fish caught in a river. Exactly. Um, so you get, I remember an Australian guy, I think it was an Australian guy two years ago, or possibly last year, and, I was, and they do a big meal at the start and James cooks all these different bit you know cuts and everything else and he's a really good chef so it tastes pretty amazing and this australian guy was like oh, i don't really want to try the venison because i've had venison before and it wasn't that good and i was like you're eating a grouse's heart at the moment <laughs> i was like you should try that and he tried it and he was like that is a whole different world and he'd had farmed venison from australia and he couldn't believe the comparable and every year these people come and they tell us because there's about five of us that do it all together that guide on it um and they're there going, this is the most amazing resource you have in Scotland. And why isn't this in every restaurant? And it's this kind of really obvious thing that everybody seems to be able to see because they can't do it. And we have the ability to do it and we're just rubbish at it. Um, and, and getting that into the, into the general public's consciousness 
is I think one of the big challenges we face and to, to just turn around and go if you want to eat healthily and you want to eat well then wild meat is something you really need to look at and that comes down like so many of, of the problems I think we face not as an industry but as a community which I think is probably a better word for it it comes down to our like our abhorrent attempt at PR for ourselves yeah. and the fact uh, that we 100% yeah. we can't seem to get ourselves into a position where we 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 move forward we seem you know there are still people who think a good hunting video is guys in real tree camouflage taking kill shots and high-fiving and you're like going yeehaw get to fuck. like why why would you why like why is that what you want to celebrate and it's a really challenging thing and i i i, I use social media a wee bit as, as you guys know and I went through a little period where I was like, I'm not going to post anything dead on Instagram because I was really conscious of this. And I was like, it's my industry. It's my career. I, I've got to, you know, I've got to do it properly. I can't preach and not do it. I was like, I'm not going to post anything dead on Instagram. So I went like six months, didn't post anything dead. And then I thought about it more and it was something that I discussed with people and I discussed with clients. And I had a guy from, uh, I think it was Belgian, uh, came stalking me and we were chatting about this. And, uh, and he said, yeah, he said, but you can't be ashamed of what you do. He said, you can't hide away from the fact that you kill things. And so that played on my mind a little while later. And I actually, I took a photograph this summer, which I put on Instagram. Uh, and it was a really good friend of mine who I've known for a long time. Uh, he's a very good rock climber. He's sponsored for rock climbing. And he's an outdoor enthusiast. He mountain bikes, he fly fishes, he runs, he does everything. And he's always really wanted to try deer stalking. So I took him stalking and we went out onto the hill in about July time. And I wanted him to shoot a nice buck. I wanted him to have, you know, a good day of it. And I wanted him to shoot, a, a, you know, let's be honest, a nice trophy, a good animal that he could put on his wall. A good old animal. Yeah. And I knew, so on the, I do quite a lot of hillbuck stalking, which is some of my favorite stalking. It's the best. Uh, it's so underrated. Um, mainly because I think lots of people don't know it exists. But I knew there was a sort of a seriously old boy who was right out in the middle of the hill, um, who sort of kicked about some juniper bushes and I'd seen him earlier uh, in the season and I was like, oh, we'll go and see if he's there. So we stalked out and, and he was there and he was grazing away and my friend Joe took, you know, genuinely a perfect shot. He took the top off the heart. Uh, Buck ran, I don't know, 10, 20 metres and fell over. And it was, and I still think it is, possibly the most beautiful example of a roebuck that I have have seen certainly recently certainly that someone shot with me just everything about that animal was for me just perfect and and i blooded him because I, i'm quite a believer in blooding as much as that's probably a controversial thing with some people and, and on the topic i'm very talking about uh, and i blooded him and i took a photograph of him and it wasn't a stage photograph it was just a photograph of him as he knelt next to this buck and we'd taken the photograph with he he uh, had a dslr with him so he took a couple of photos of that and i was I was on my phone because I, I uh, GPS tag everything I shoot for color records. So I was on my phone and he was just sort of merrily knelt there next to this deer, completely oblivious to me, just there and just holding it and looking at it. And I thought, that's actually the photo. And I took the photo and I was like, that you can't, for me, not sharing that with the people that follow me on Instagram and my friends and the people that are interested in what I'm interested in that because of that story and, and because of how that day went that was the right picture to share then and that was sort of this thing of actually well we need to be more careful but we can't shy away from what we do no. and the thing that then really annoyed me was that photo 
got more likes than anything else. <laughs> and even if what I think we need to really look at as as deer stalkers, as shooters, as whatever, we I think we need to start working at how we program ourselves away from those pictures. That we can see and I think there's people that can and other people that maybe just don't think about it enough. But if you see two pictures next to each other and one of them is a guy holding a dead deer and one of them is a guy uh, and and if you look at you had Tyler Sharp on the podcast, yes. Right? Yeah. Like you look at Tyler Sharp's imagery, and I don't know him from Adam, but his Instagram is insane, and his his f- photographic yeah. ability is phenomenal. And you look at some of his photographs that have nothing dead or bloody in them at all, and you look at the two pictures, and you know it's a guy sweating going up a mountain or whatever that is, and you've got them side by side, and you go right, okay, what better represents the part of hunting that you like? What better says? talks about that experience that you've had and i you know when i'm guiding i'm very conscious that i want people to have a proper experience i want them to you know because let's be honest if you know your ground well especially with roe deer because they're creatures of habit you can wheel out and shoot a deer pretty damn easily it's, if you've got some be, if, if you got, know if you've got yeah, the knowledge if you've got easy. some knowledge it can be a case of right okay it's nine o'clock in the morning we'll shoot the target and by 10 o'clock it'll be dead in the back of the pickup because you can shoot them off the bonnet you know if you want to it can be that easy so someone booking to go stalking can be as simple as drive up the hill see the deer walk out to wherever put the bipod down shoot the deer go home it is to me it's not a case of doing a job when that you know it's a sport it, it's creating that experience and we seem to have as a as a community programmed ourselves more to those pictures of a dead animal to, to, to automatically go, oh, that's really... And I know why, because that's a really nice buck and that's success. And everybody wants success on the hunting. And so immediately you jump to that and you go, yeah, that's a good picture. And you, you double tap it away and you like it and you, you're dancing then. And I think we somehow need to start looking at ourselves before we actually think about how we, you know, how we do our own PR to the rest of the world. We need to like sort of not take a good hard look at ourselves, but you know, just consider how we see what we do and, and ask ourselves the question, well, okay, why? Why am I going to go and do that? A really so an example for me that I think is maybe a relatable one is I was invited to go and stalk a Chinese water deer uh, this year at, at Christmas time when I'm down south in Cumbria, and it's not a species I've had anything to do with before. And I was invited by a guy who I don't know who wanted to do some. He's a sporting agent. Uh, who wanted to let some of my stalking and we were chatting away and he you know we we're on the phone one day talking about stags and he said oh he said i'm actually just about to take a guy out for a chinese water deer and i said oh, i've never stalked those and he did that classic oh you must come down so we kind of organized it and then i was sat there one day with a couple of friends of mine and we were you know having that slightly you know like that three drams in <laughs> philosophical conversation about things and i was like oh i'm gonna go and shoot chinese water deer in new year and one of them was like well why are you gonna go and do it and i was like Oh, like genuinely, why would I, like, why am I going to drive to, I think he wanted to do it in Sussex or somewhere, like a really long way away, drive a really long way away to shoot a deer with somebody that I don't have to do. You know, my normal reasons for shooting a deer is somebody's paying me to do it uh, or it needs to be done as part of my work. So that's, that's normally the reason that I find myself putting a rifle up to a deer, uh, and I was there like, so I'm going to drive out of my way 
and go as as a client to go and hunt this deer. And I was like, right, okay, why am I doing that? And I'm sat with my friends, really good friends that I can be completely honest with. And we basically chatted about it for a while. And I was like, I don't know anything about his management. I don't know if that is a, a well-managed population of deer. And I don't know enough about Chinese water deer to be able to call it when I get there. You know what I mean? I can turn up onto a state and look at the stags and go, Jesus, everything's under four years old. This is not good. Or you can turn up to somewhere and go, oh, this is a nicely managed population. And I just don't know enough about Chinese water deer to call that. So I started thinking about it and I ended up cancelling the invitation, which is the first time I've ever cancelled an invitation. And as I'm saying this on the, not the radio, but like the radio, it sounds really snobby and a bit dickish, I think, to say, you know, a really kind invitation for somebody and I turned it down. And it, I did it because... I didn't have enough faith in him that it would be for the right reasons. And that sounds really terrible, but that's my honest opinion. And what's happened since then is I actually started speaking to somebody else, uh, a guy called Rob, who's in Norfolk. He manages uh, deer in Thetford, and I've agreed that I'm going to go down there and I'm going to spend a couple of days with him. And I don't know if I'll shoot anything or not. I don't really care, but I'm going to learn about Chinese water deer and how he manages them. And... And if there's one to shoot, that's the right one to shoot. A bit like when you're stag stalking up here and the guys that have been doing it a while, they come out and they'll say to me in the morning, is there any chance we can shoot a switch? Yeah. yeah. Now they're my favorite clients. I love those guys. Those guys who are like, I don't mind if we pass up a load of shootable stags because I've always really wanted to shoot a switch or a Hummel or whatever. And it makes perfect sense to shoot that within the management. That's the deer that we want. You know, they are the stags we want to shoot. Um, And so I, that's the first time to be brutally honest with you guys that, that is the first time that I have had that conscious decision because especially when you do what I do for a living, it can become very easy to... It's a routine. It can become a routine. Yeah, like, you know, it's not such an emotional process because it's work. It is something you go out every day and you're either shooting deer or you're guiding people to shoot deer. So you see a lot of deer fall over and you start to... Just desensitize. Yeah, a little bit. And And that's part of the job and that's fine but i that's the first time the chinese water deer thing is the first time i've actually been conscious about it and gone jesus i need to sort of make an effort to to go that extra mile and i really hope not that i'm leading the way or any of that kind of bullshit but i really hope that there's more people thinking like that because i don't see how else we can keep going into the future yeah no, i i 100 percent support that and it's something we've said before is that we really need to ask the question as hunters and ask it of yourself much more frequently. If you've, you've you, you may, there might be some people who've never asked it at all. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Yeah. Bec- and, and try and ask that question. You can ask that about your job if you want. Why no, am I doing I, what I mean, I'm doing? Yeah. Ask that about your I, job. I, I did. do my job for yeah. all the women and all the money. <laughs> yeah. I asked that uh, about my job. Up yet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, but try and ask it from the point of view as if you've got to give the answer what would somebody think of your answer if they don't know you and they're not involved in, in shooting at all? And see if that if it makes sense. Because I promise you there are a lot of things and we support a huge amount of um, aspects of, of, of field sports and things that are going on in the countryside. But there are a lot of things that people do just on an individual basis where if they truly ask themselves the question, they probably wouldn't do them anymore. It's not because necessarily the activity is wrong, but they're probably not doing it for the right reasons. For I actually... I say that the first time that sort of question ever came to me, I remember shooting rooks where my mum lives. There's it's the biggest rookery in I think England or the UK. Scalps of them, and I was out shooting crows, and I ran out of crows, so I started shooting rooks. And I was sat in the corner of the field with the Benelli, like popping away at these rooks. And I suddenly realised I was like, "What the f- am I doing? Like they eat leather jackets and worms. Why am I shooting a rook? I'm not going to eat it. I'm shooting them because you can. You it's can. crap. You can, but I'm not going to." <laughs> 
Um, I've got a, a movable freezer full of venison. I'm not going to eat a rook. <laughs> um, but, you know, and, and that was the first time. And I, I've not shot a rook since because there's no point. Because they eat leather jackets, which are not a, like... I can give one reason. Because I shoot a lot of rooks every year on one particular farm. Right. Because for some reason, there's a, always a period of like two or three weeks where they go and they pull up all, all of the crop. Fair enough. Yeah. So yeah. well, there you go. That's a, that, there there's, is your, a reason. there's your Otherwise, answer. So you I, you can justify shooting a rook, yeah. and I can't because I was doing it on a sheep farm, and they were just there, and I was bored, so I shot them. And that that's not like that is not a morally defensible thing to do. Let's be honest, that is not cool. And if that wasn't a rook, but that was a lion, and I admitted that on your podcast, and I'd like to point out, I've never shot a lion. Um, We'd see you in the Daily Mail. On yeah, <laughs> I'd be hunted. Like and. and and not rightly so, because it's. I don't understand how one life, because it's got a mane, is worth more than another, really. But that I think that's how we need to go as as a as an industry or as a community. Is we just need to be more more honest about it Abs- and hundred percent. And, and we more, honesty. That's such a great. And just a bit more questioning of of ourselves. And I realise how how to a lot of people that must sound quite spoilt bratish almost because I can equally remember back to you know those opportunities when I was younger if you got an opportunity you, you took it. it exactly and there's a lot in that and I think that's and I don't take anything away from that because that's how you learn and, and I'm really lucky that I got some amazing opportunities and that's why I'm sat here uh, but I, 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 I'd like to think I've got a point hidden and it's not a holy I hope it's not holier than thou attitude I, I, I but I just think for your own like everybody's got to do it themselves. I don't think you've got to openly talk about it. I wouldn't recommend going on, for instance, a podcast and talking about it. That would, that would be ridiculous. <laughs> That'd be a terrible idea. But no, I, I think it's something that you've got to look at yourself and be like, right, okay, why am I going to go and shoot that? And and that's something on the flip side of this one. I'm guiding, which is most of the time I spend hunting, pretty much, um, and I'm guiding is the way I was taught to do that. And something I think is so important is why. You don't walk a man up a mountain, find a stag, and tell him he's going to shoot it without explaining why. Without pointing out how old that stag is. Without showing that, you know, if you knew him last year, was he bigger last year, was he better, or not shooting him for that reason. And when when we are stalking and and selecting deer is something that I've been taught uh, to, to, to take as an absolute priority. And that is a management, that's relative to the management. So if you're in a zero tolerance area and a 14-point stag walks out, you shoot the 14-point stag. He might be amazing, but that's not where he belongs. And that's a shame. And wouldn't it be better to herd them out or whatever? But realistically, the practical solution is when that deer is where that deer shouldn't be as it gets shot. But if you're managing a sporting herd of deer for to, to, to balance a herd of deer for commercial gain with your environmental commitments and so you have that opportunity and that luxury of being able to select which animals you want to proffer with that herd and and put their genes on then i think that's really important that you explain to your guests and your clients why they are shooting that stag that hind that roebuck whatever because if they don't know that then how can they defend what they've done to anybody else Exactly. Yeah. So you know, you I I come and you know I'm a non-hunter and I come to your house and you've got a, a stag's head on the wall. Isn't it better for that person to be able to say, well, the stalker, the guide explained to me this is why we shot that deer. 
and and some and strangely going back to what we used to do in milk bottles and everything else people that are very particular about shooting old stags especially are the the older german guys that i see coming stalking they are incredibly anal about shooting animals of the right age category because that's something that their very strong hunting culture has taught them uh, and i think it's possibly not a problem but i think in a lot of places in scotland young stags are being shot with clients and that is one of those things it's not something that i necessarily agree with but it's not my place to agree or disagree with it so it doesn't really matter but certainly when people with me that you know i'm looking for a mature animal that's past its best or potentially a young animal of especially poor genetics uh that i know isn't going to do any benefit for that herd and leaving it another three or four years is going to make a real difference yeah you know one of the things that i really enjoyed seeing recently i think it was i think it was when we were in blair atheldarrell was a lot of the stags on the wall actually had the age and the reason they were shot underneath the plant. You're talking about going 200 years yeah. they were doing this. Uh, right. Yeah, because there were eight, some of them were from 1800. I have yeah, never right. seen that on yeah. a modern that is cool. head yeah, on the wall. So it was, who, cool. it was, who it was by, where it was shot, and the reason why underneath the uh, a huge amount. I mean, uh, if you go to Blair Athol, there must be, what, a thousand, oh, a thousand heads done. on the wall. It's a big place to yeah. kill a lot of deer. Yeah. But, not uh, all of them have it, but some no, of them did. And, and I thought, you And know the what? fact there's That's that level brilliant. of thought, yeah. and this is something I, I, and I go back to those old boys. You know, I've been lucky to meet some fantastic characters in this world. And the stalking world, especially in the Highlands, is punctuated by just fantastic characters people with a real passion and a story and an amount of knowledge but you look back and as you say 200 years ago they were doing that shit and you see the results of that today you see the the heritage of good deer stalkers in the deer that still wander about categorically you you can tell and and I, it worries me slightly that we'll lose some of that. And I think we, it, it's just one of those things that things drift in and out of fashion. And I think deer stalking at the moment seems to be on a bit of a back burner. There's a lot of people going to grouse and therefore shooting the deer hard. Forestry, all these things we've already talked about, uh, you know, it's having an impact. It's changing how people manage land, uh, rightly or wrongly. And in cases I am a part of that and, and I'm arguably the problem because I'll turn up and shoot deer, people's deer for them. Um, but it would be such a shame if we lost that ability. And I, you do see people who aren't lucky enough to have that knowledge to say why they've shot their stag. We talked about this quite recently, Byron, you and I, of people shooting a deer because it's close to them. Yeah. And what, like, that's not cool. Like, that's not, what, that, that's not what it's about. It's not like, oh, well, there was a deer there, so we came around the corner and we shot it. Because it was be, there. Yeah, exactly. Because it was present. Yeah, it was, it was the first thing I saw. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, it, that's and I remember, not management. Yeah, I remember actually the first time I ever heard about that was uh, in an old game book I was being told about by a, a stalker and he was telling me that uh, at the bottom of it, it was like a new owner would come in or something and they'd shot a load of different stacks. And the old stalker was there, this was in the 50s, had written at the bottom, at the end of the season, he'd written at the bottom, I dedicate this uh, these stags to the pound sterling for which they were culled. Really? That's and sad. you're like, that is sad. But it's very... It, it it is sad, and and but that's very much you, you know, can see. You can imagine what was going through his head yeah. for someone for him to write. Something I, and like I that. tell you what, you look at some places like you look at South Uist as an estate, uh, and what's happening with the deer there, and that is, uh, I, I I I'm I'm not involved there at all, but I've I've watched that with great sadness. That was a fantastic herd of deer, and that's another community and estate, and and 
could have been such an amazing resource for them. Like, you see the quality of stags they had there and the market they could have gone into. And you're like, why the fuck are you shooting them on the Macca in December to protect your croft? You've just knocked 2,000 quid on the head for the sake of 140 quid from a game dealer. Yeah. Are you daft? And there isn't that connection. And, you know, South East is an estate, and I call it by name because I'm not involved, and I, I stand by what I say, and that, that it just, the deer there, their days, I think, are numbered now. Uh, and, I mean, equally, they're shooting huge bags of sniper. They have been doing, uh, historically, you know, they've shot a lot of snipe there. It, it, It's an amazing, it's got a lot of, I look at that with a lot of potential for, a sporting experience for someone, you know, there's fantastic stags that were right Yeah, exactly. And and instead, you know, stags are being shot. Uh, I remember I read a piece, an editorial piece about it, just they had a deer management group meeting uh, there or a deer group meeting or something. And there was, a, like, the community all came and gave their opinion and everything else. And it ran, there was a West Highland Free Press, I believe, I might be wrong about that, editorial piece about it. And it was written by someone on South Uist. And it started with, our islands have a vermin problem. And it's red deer, and that just like I, oh, that just I. It's a mindset, it. yeah. isn't it? That, it just makes you want to give up. Like you just. I, the, yeah. the the battery is flashing again. Well, I was, we, We've been talking for that long. <laughs> I think that Sam. All Jesus. I can say is the next time that you come past this way, feel free to stop in again, and we'll do another podcast. Yeah. But I think that is that is that like a full God? I can do. <laughs> but this is going to two hours. You're going to be the first first yeah. podcast of, of the year 2018, and I think this is going to be a yeah. great way it for is. our and, listeners and, to start. And if anybody listens to the end of it, I think you should give them a prize. <laughs> we do well, we give, give prizes, as so. you well know. As yeah. a podcast I do. Listener. I you do. need to enter. I, I should do. I'll, before the battery dies, I'm going to thank you very much for stopping by. I, it's been a fa- fascinating discussion. You've been a fantastic guest to come on. I genuinely mean it. Next time you're stopping past. We'll get on again. the office. Well, we'll work out what we talked about this time and then cross them <laughs> you did, off. You did send we'll me a list, <laughs> didn't you, which had a lot of things on it. That we'll we'll cover some other topics. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but have a really great Christmas and New Year, and I'm sure we'll see you again soon. Well, thank you very much. I've, oh, hang I've on. Really One it. last thing. If people want to speak to you, you're going to be somewhere soon. I can't remember the details. Oh, tell people Jesus. Quickly. Well done. Yes. Uh, so quickly. And I'll, I'll mention it at the I, start as well. When uh, the so so I'm, I trade under Ardale Deer Management, A-R-D-A-L-E. Um, and me and a very good friend of mine, Bradley Borner, who's up in Aberdeenshire, we do an awful lot of work together, uh, a mixture of guiding, stalking, some contract work, but also we do a lot of uh, instruction and, and we run courses in marksmanship, deer stalking, long range shooting, all sorts of stuff. He's an ex-Marine sniper, insane amount of knowledge to do with shooting things with a rifle. Frankly, scary ability as well, uh, but a lovely guy. So we do a lot of work together and we are going to the British Shooting Show which is the day after the hind season. So it's the 16th of February for three days. And we're going to have a stand there. Uh, if you want to come and tell me how awful I was on this podcast and how you bored you were and how you fell asleep, if you're still listening now, which you probably aren't, uh, then then please come along. Uh, and yeah, I'm happy to... I'll, Happy to talk more if I'll anybody I'll mention wants it at the it. start of the podcast as well Thank so you. that people can remember. But yeah, because yep. nobody's going to get here, let's be honest. <laughs> Thank you very much, Sam, and have a safe travel My pleasure. south. Thank you very much.
And that's it for another two weeks. Don't forget that we normally come out the same time every two weeks, which is the Thursday. So check us out in two weeks' time on the Thursday. And uh, there's only been two occasions that it has not come out on the Thursday. But um, we've always had good reason. We've always it. had good... first one was internet problems, and I'm pretty sure the second one is because I almost died. Yeah, you had an accident. <laughs> yeah, I had an accident. And then I forgot to put it out because I was stressed out. I think that's the reason. I can't remember. Anyway, uh, yeah, thanks for listening. And don't forget that you can contact us on the old FaceyB. We're on uh, in, uh, Facebook for anyone that was wondering. <laughs> I was trying to, trying to be cool okay. there. Yeah, trying anyway, to be cool. Trying to be cool. Um, uh, Instagram, Insta-G. <laughs> Insta-G. Um, Pace underscore brothers. Uh, we've got an amazing followership on that. So follow, uh, We're also on Twitter, but don't bother tweeting us because we never really look at it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we just have it because, um, because, meant, it's, there. because it's there. Uh, or uh, contact us through our website, yeah, which a lot of people do. Our website, do. a lot of people do. Uh, Thepacebrothers.com. Uh, if you're having struggling, li- struggling, listen to us on any platforms. Let us know. We'll help you out. We are on loads of platforms. And I can tell you, just to finish off, that the next podcast podcast is also going to be awesome we just recorded today it is with phil massaro who's been on the podcast before we were going to talk about ballistics and we never even got there because what came out from the conversation which started about we are, we the Dallas him, Safari... We only asked him one question, which, <laughs> which was, how was the Dallas <laughs> Safari Club? And he told us, and then we just... I don't know where we ended up, but where we ended up was actually really cool. We've and ha- some great, great content came out of that. Phil will be probably a guy that's been on the show the most after this podcast. It will. He will. Three and times, he, he is going to come back and do the ballistics podcast. Um, Very knowledgeable yeah, about which ballistics. Which I've, I've been promising everyone. And every time we've intended to do it, we've ended up talking about something else, which has been very very good and interesting but we never get to the ballistics but that's coming up next and yeah this podcast with phil is in two weeks so just to wrap up quickly if you have any suggestions for guests or uh topics you want covered uh in the following 12 months of this year please let us know and we will arrange it 